morning, New York sports fans, or is it a good morning? I'm sure we're going to get a lot of uh, a lot of complaining tonight. It's okay. I'm ready for it. I'm Danielle McCartan. McCartan after midnight. I'll be talking all things New York sports to you till 6 a.m. on this early Sunday morning or late Saturday night. If you're out and about in the city that never sleeps or maybe you're working on a weekend like usual, we are too. Nick is with me tonight. We're coming to you live from the Mike Francesa studio here in lower Manhattan. You guys know the number, 877-337-6666. And let's load them up with your best takes and your best content only, please. Special guests, yes, plural for you tonight. Coming up in the 3 a.m. hour will be the first female NFL scout who just happened to be hired by our New York Jets years ago, Connie Carberg. We're going to explore Jets draft strategy, which is so entirely different this week than it was Last week, as you know, the trade of Sam Darnold, which we'll get into momentarily. And then in the 4 a.m. hour will be four-time World Series champion, Jeff Nelson. So Saturday afternoon, I had the split screen going on on my TV beginning at 1.10, technically, p.m. Yankee game on the left, Met game on the right. In the game that ended first, the Marlins dominated the Mets on degromination day. Three, zip. But DeGrom taking the L after his team being shut out, it's not anything new. And then the Yankees played completely uninspired baseball under the dome at the Trop, getting shut out by the Rays 4-0. Not one single run was scored by a New York baseball team. In fact, both combined were outscored Saturday afternoon single-handedly by the right leg of Megan Rapinoe of the U.S. women's national team. That team, by the way, tied the always tough Sweden one-to-one in an international friendly match. So let's take the New York Mets first. Some adjectives that come to mind when I think of the Mets' Saturday afternoon loss to the Miami Marlins. Well, Carrie Underwood's got the first one for you. Wasted. To that, I'd add ruined, spoiled, frustrating, embarrassing. Jacob deGrom, who after the game said, this is a quote, he said, it's a team effort. We had a tough matchup today. We just got beat. He has to have reached a boiling point over how poorly this team has performed when he takes the ball as a starter. Almost every reporter after the game was certainly trying to get him to bite, certainly trying to get him to use the word frustrated or disappointed, and he didn't. But before he went to sleep Saturday night, did he ask him the same question that you just heard Carrie Underwood ask you? Am I letting all these years go by wasted? Last week, we talked about how the two parties engaged in preliminary extension talks during spring training, but not a lot of progress was made. Remember. DeGrom has an opt-out under the current deal after the 2022 season. At this rate, I'd if I were him, I'd absolutely consider opting out if I were him. Consider it. What this team has put up in support of him has been just flat-out embarrassing. In his two starts this season alone, he's got 14 innings pitched, 21 strikeouts, and a .64 ERA. Two walks. The Mets, 0-2 in those starts. So let's look at the strikeouts first. Those 21 strikeouts are tied for second in the league with guess who? Garrett Cole. Don't look it up. Shane Bieber leads the league. 
I checked after the Mets game ended, by the way. So that that could have been, you know, any any later games that could have factored in. But Shane Bieber, when I checked, led the league. DeGrom and Cole tied for second in strikeouts. Next, let's look at his ERA. Look at the guys that have pitched in more than 10 innings so far this season. DeGrom's .64 ERA is only behind two pitchers. Lance Lynn, who pitched a no-hitter for the White Sox this week, and Joe Musgrove, who pitched a no-hitter for the Padres this week. That's it. Both of those guys' teams won their games for them. Just saying. And now contrast that to what the Mets offense has done, these are major air quotes here, in support of Jacob DeGrom. Over his first two starts, they're in, in, in games that Jacob DeGrom has started, the Mets are 4 for 17 with runners in scoring position, and they've left 14 base runners stranded. And this isn't a new thing. This is an ongoing issue year after year. Run support is one thing, but how about some support from your own bullpen? After being taken out in his first start entirely too early, his bullpen completely imploded for him. Again, not a new storyline, unfortunately, for him. And I'm not suggesting that DeGrom jump ship right now on, on April 11th, 2021. But I can't rule out that he's not thinking of that opt-out option. Wouldn't you be? Especially if the Mets failed to make the postseason this year again? You're the most dominant pitcher in all of baseball. What would you do? Who would you who, in your 185 career starts, who have allowed zero or one run 87 times in your in your career, stick around? Would you stick around? I guess it all boils down to whether or not you're a player that is after the money or after a World Series ring. Because right now, DeGrom's 2021 Mets are only offering him one of those two things. And one more thing. Conforto leaning into that walk-off walk pales in comparison to what the Marlins did to the Mets in the fourth inning of that same game. Did you catch it? I'll tell you about it if you didn't. This is in the same game earlier on. Fourth inning. Dom Smith gets aboard with the single. He bends over to take off his shin guard. And Jesus Aguilar... The Miami Marlins' first baseman literally pickpockets a card out of his back pocket. You'd have to think that was a card showing the defensive alignments, the Marlins' hitters' tendencies, etc. And neither Smith nor the first base coach seemed to notice. That's not gamesmanship like Conforto's lean-in. That's straight-up cheating. And as for the Yankees, the story is not much different than that of the Mets. Cole Swindell, Dirk Bentley, captured perfectly in one word. Flatliner. <laughs> Did you see the shots of the Yankees dugout Saturday afternoon? Can the team doctor check those players for a pulse? The faces match the always dreary atmosphere at the Trop. It's like they didn't even want to be there. And while we're at it, let me add to the word flatliner. Pathetic, ridiculous, stubborn, sputtering. If you listen to Aaron Boone's post-game press conferences, you'd think that the team is alone atop the standings. 
today in a game where his team posted exactly zero runs, two defensive errors, and a batting average with runners in scoring position of exactly zero. 0 for 4 with six stranded base runners. Boone said, this is a quote, I thought we did a lot of great things today. What? So great that you optioned your starting pitcher from the day, Domingo Herman, to the alternate site? That was great, right? Is Boone going anywhere? No. By everyone in that front office saying decisions are made collaboratively, theoretically there isn't one single point person that's going to take the blame. Maybe that rosy perspective, which I think he might say it, or an iteration of it after every single game, is the reason why he hasn't seemed to want to make any changes to the pitiful lineup that he marches out there each and every day. Aaron Boone needs a reality check. His team has scored only 11 runs in eight games. This Yankee potent lineup, right? The most glaring abomination is, I still, one week later, for the life of me, cannot figure out why Aaron Hicks is still batting third in this lineup. He is four for 27. 148. Sure, he ran into one the other day. That was inevitable. But that 148 incorporates that. Hicks has 11 strikeouts. And for perspective, the major league leader, Miguel Sano, has 15. Hicks, 11. And to think that this guy is sandwiched at times between hitters like Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton? Why can't you get the job done? Or is it because those guys in those particular spots in the lineup don't strike fear into opposing pitchers anymore? Brett Gardner, in his post-game press conference, unlike his manager, brought a perspective of reality. He said, that's something I always try to stress to those guys in the room. These games are just as important as those games in September. Especially having already lost the series to the defending AL champion Tampa Bay Rays, did the Yankees win later today? I think yes. With Montgomery on the gra- on the mound and a potentially gassed Rays bullpen, which had to eat up many innings Saturday after Chris Archer left with a, uh, a forearm injury. However, which hitters will be in the lineup? Will Aaron Judge be in the lineup after playing Saturday afternoon's game? Back-to-back? What's the deal with him and this ridiculousness about his hesitancy to play on turf? How about a little transparency from the manager regarding this situation? Or not even the manager. How about from the player? Here's a timeline of what Aaron Boone's comments regarding the situation with Judge, who did not go for tests on his generally sore left side, the same left side, the same left oblique that sidelined him for 62 games in 2019. March 29th, these are all quotes. He's under the weather a little. This is from Boone about Judge. April 5th, I'm just getting him off his feet while I can. April 6th, there is nothing specific that Aaron Judge is dealing with. April 7th, he's dealing with general soreness on his side. Then April 9th, which was Friday, Judge threw and took batting practice before the game. And when Boone was asked after the game, point blank, if Judge was injured, he couldn't answer the question. Either he's injured or he's not. April 10th, Saturday, Judge starts in right field. So maybe he's not injured? How about April 11th? Is he going to play? Is he going to play in the game? The question on all Yankees fans' minds, is this a guy, Aaron Judge, that you feel completely comfortable with offering a brand new, very expensive contract? He's got next year as an arbitration year. 
and then he'll he's going to become an unrestricted free agent. What I would suggest on judge, the jury is still out. And so the New York Jets and Joe Douglas made the hardest decision. She's been good to me. So the Jets, they've made up their minds, and there is no turning back. He deserves better than that. That song from a bunch of Cincinnati natives, 98 Degrees, my first concert ever, by the way, PNC Bank Art Center. So I'm sitting there in Cincinnati, eating outside, some really good fried chicken and macaroni and cheese, soaking in the warm sunlight, and I get this notification on my phone that interrupted my serenity. The New York Jets are trading quarterback Sam Darnold to the Carolina Panthers for a 2021 sixth-round pick and a second- and fourth-round pick in 2022. Don't forget, in 2018, the Jets traded up to get him, sending the Indianapolis Colts the number six overall pick and two second-round picks for 2018 and a 2019 second-round pick. Now that I've thought about the return haul for him, Considering they were going to get a only a third-round compensatory draft pick for him in 2023 if they let him go in free agency, I do like the package that they got back for him, mostly because it includes a second-rounder. My immediate reaction was a tinge of sadness, to be honest. You guys all know that I wanted the Jets to stick with Sam, and you also know that I wasn't alone in that line of thought. Amid all of that losing, with the worst head coach known to mankind, Sam Darnold stood up at that podium and answered reporters' questions day in and day out. He kept his weekly spot with that other station in town until, I assume, both they and the team mutually agreed to end it. What was the point of putting the kid on trial every week? He was a good soldier through and through, where he could have, at any juncture, really let his feelings be known, whether directly or through implications at the podium. Also, it's almost been a week. Besides the video of his friends throwing him that surprise party that circulated around the internet, he still hasn't said anything negative about the team. Sam Darnold, a class act. So anyway, uh, that day I I finished up my lunch real quick. I ran up to my hotel room to turn on the NFL Network to see Joe Douglas' press conference. The one thing that struck me from it was the fact that the Jets had the— he he mentioned that if the Jets had had the the 12th or the 13th overall pick, they probably would have stuck with him. Darnold's going to do just fine with the Panthers with the added layer of irony that he'll be reunited with Robbie Anderson and have a stout running game for once, led by Christian McCaffrey, and be coached by the guy that the Jets passed over, Matt Rule, to hire Adam Guru, who ruined Sam the minute he walked through the front door. He also said, Joe Douglas, that keeping both would be both unfair to Darnold and the rookie quarterback, something we've also talked about on here. That was never going to be uh, in the cards. So Douglas and company ultimately decided to move on, likely for these reasons, as we've talked about, probably one, to reset the quarterback play clock, uh, uh, <laughs> the quarterback pay clock. Two, it's a new system with a new head coach and a new offensive coordinator anyway for whoever was going to be the quarterback. And Darnold, including his senior year of college, would have been learning his fourth system in five years. 
And probably the third reason why was Darnold, in his three full seasons with the Jets, experienced more turnover than most players in the entire frame, the, the same frame, time frame. <laughs> than most players in, in the same time frame. Darnold had had two head coaches, two GMs, and guess what? Two different uniforms. What are the chances that all three of those three, three things change in three years? And with that, the Jets are the first team since 1967 to select two quarterbacks and the top three overall picks in a four-year span. So here we are, accepting the Robert Sala, Mike LaFleur, and Zach Wilson era of New York Jets football. One thing I did see was that Pro Football Focus graded the draft-eligible college quarterbacks on throws past their first read since 2019. Best of the bunch was Justin Field with a grade of Fields with a grade of 90.6. Five-tenths of a point behind him was Zach Wilson. Trevor Lawrence, you ask? Well, they graded him a 78.6. Good for seventh. Well, that's a good sign for Wilson that he's able to find guys beyond his first read. I just hope that he could stay upright enough to make that read. Wilson also did impress me at his pro day, but again, it's without a defense in his face. And also, did you guys catch the Saturday night massacre of the Brooklyn Nets at the hands of the L.A. Lakers, which I think will be the matchup in the NBA Finals. Brutal. And before we hit the break to get to your phone calls, a quick shout-out to a user by the name of Swamp Dragon, who won my WFAN listener NCAA Women's Bracket Challenge. He picked out an incredible 98.8% clip. So congrats to to him or, or her. And thank you to over 45 people that participated. We'll, we will do it next year for sure. So lots to do tonight, lots to get to. I have set the table for you. It's time to eat your 2 a.m. snacks. I can't wait to talk with you guys. 877-337-6666. I'm Danielle McCartan. After midnight on The Fan in New York City. This is John Sterling. Join me along with Susan Waldman for the Bombers and Tampa Bay Rays at 110 with Yankees pregame at 1230. And as always, I'll be joined by my compañera Susan Waldman here on your flagship station for Yankees talk, tickets in every game. The Fan. Sports Radio 1019 FM and streaming on all of your devices at WFAN.com. Welcome back to The Fan, everybody. It's the weekend. Get it? The weekend and the weekend. <laughs> Nick's laughing, nodding his head. <laughs> Welcome back to McCartney After Midnight, everybody. Getting some good tweets on the break. Uh, I wanted to bring your attention to one more thing. Did you guys know, I'm sure you've seen, that Alex Rodriguez and billionaire Mark Lore are finalizing a deal to purchase the Minnesota Timberwolves. Of course, that's from majority owner Glenn Taylor. So the takeover is going to be in 2023. So I threw up a poll. Ooh, I'm blinded by... <laughs> My poll was, which of A-Rod's targets will win a championship first? As you know, everybody knows, we talked about it here, he and J... And, uh, Jennifer Lopez, we are we're teaming up with the uh, the Frank Viola group, uh, John Viola group, whatever, to to purchase the the Mets, and of course that fell through to the Steve Cohen deal, right? So A Rod targeted the Mets. He is now pretty much the ink is drying on the Timberwolves deal. So which of A Rod's targets will win a championship first? I had the poll open for I think like three hours. 60, I'm going to round up, 68% of you guys said the Mets would win a championship before the Timberwolves. And I'm going to have to agree. The Timberwolves are sitting at last place in the Western Conference, and their their winning percentage is the worst in the entire league, um, despite having Carl Anthony Towns on their roster. So 
the Mets are, are, are bad this week. They're not going to be bad for long term. Certainly not going to be worst in the league long term. So, yes, I'm with you guys. The Mets are going to win a championship before the Timberwolves. And, and good luck to Alex Rodriguez. See, I always liked Alex Rodriguez. So good luck to him and his ownership and his, his pursuit of a championship uh, with the uh, uh, NBA basketball team. Okay, let's go to your calls, 877-337-6666. You guys can actually tweet me, too, if the phones are busy. It's at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. And Eddie D, by the way, tweets me all the time, at SPC60. He just tweeted that he, uh, well, the game just ended, but he had us on, Nick, at the Dodgers game. That's dedication. Live at the Dodgers game from the upper deck. He sent me the video. He had the show on, so I appreciate that, Eddie. Shout out I to I think you. I saw that. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, pretty cool. Dodger Stadium, also another good one. That's for later, though. All right, let's go to leading us off tonight in the DJ LeMayhew in the Brandon Nimmo spot in the batting order is Kevin in Camden. Kevin, what's up this week? I'm good, Coach. How are you? I'm good. Uh, I'm I'm pissed about the Donald trade. <laughs> Hate it. Hate it. You got to come to terms with it. I know. Oh, I I'm, like I'm, it not, oh I'm not. If you thought last week I was fired up, I'm Tell me. 100 times more than that. Floor is yours. So, Go. All right. Zach Wilson, he better be the guy that everybody thinks he is. You're right. Because, I, because I'm telling you, I don't think he is. I don't think he's that great. Because everybody's raving about the throw that he made in the pro day. Mm-hmm. That, oh, my gosh, that's the greatest throw ever. Yeah. Like, relax, people. Cool your jets. Hey, no, pu- no pun intended there, Kevin, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, cool, but seriously, I mean, he, we've seen Sam Darnold do that throw. Yeah. In the NFL, we've yes. seen the same throw. So, relax, people, all right? And, and Darnold being chased by a defense to make makes that throw. That was a tweet by Lewis exactly. Riddick. I retweeted it last week. Yep, I know what you're exactly. talking. Yep. A major reason why Zach Wilson was successful in college was because he had a great offensive line protecting him. Mm. Now, let's, okay, they're going to they're gonna draft him. But do you really think that he's going to be protected in, in with the Jets? Besides Makai Beckton and... Uh, Enough. I'm trying to, uh, who's the other tackle? Well, Beckton and uh, the thing is this: Williams. The Jets Beckton. do have draft picks, and I think they're going to spend one on on a left guard. I think. Yeah, but still, I mean, it, they don't have a great line. Hmm. So, if he's not protected, he can't. He's going to get hit. And he's not going to be successful. So, that's one thing. And 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 a third point, Adam, please, Sam Donald. Everybody's saying we don't know what he's. We, we, he didn't do anything in three years. Adam Guru for two years. Yeah. The worst I mean, coach really, ever. Really. He gets the least amount of talent out of his players as possible. So, I don't know. I <laughs> don't think we know what Donald could do. Because for three, for two years, Adam Gates was his coach. And I'm just saying, I think they gave up on him too soon. Yep. And, um, that's, yeah. And I don't, and I also think that they didn't get enough for him. That's, I mean, second and sixth and you know, I, initially well, I, I thought the same thing, Kevin. But then you got to think about it. Like he is damaged goods. You know, as as much as well, we think that well, he's going to excel, which he probably will, he is damaged goods. So to get at least a second rounder back for him, you know, for next year, I thought I thought after thinking about it, I thought it was okay. That's true, and, I'm, and I, I agree with you. He's going to be coming back later the year. Yeah. I don't know if okay. I could put a wager oh, on that now or how do I do that? <laughs> well, it's going to be it's going to happen. Okay. And I, and look, I I wish him well, but they made a mistake. I'm saying that. Oh, you know what it is? I, I think really it, I think that they just ran out of time, you know, in in order to surround him with with a, 
a good supporting cast. I think they just ran out of time. Yeah, but I mean, it, it, they just they it's the same thing like every year. My you know every time they get somebody, they get rid of them. Mm-hmm. I mean, I told you that my uncle he got Bell, Adams, and Donald, Jersey. and I felt bad. I was like, <laughs> dang, that's dedication. Yeah. Like you got those three. I was like, man, I love my uncle. I, that's why that's why I want them to win for him. Yeah, I'm done buying Jets jerseys. Yeah, I don't blame. <laughs> but I just think it's a mistake, and I'm not even getting into the Mets or Yankees. That's a whole nother week, cause oh, I'm still trying to recover from that. Cause I spent all, <laughs> I spent all day screaming today. Well, I, I'm glad you saved your voice for two thirty in the morning. I don't have much morning. of a voice, cause I spent much of it screaming. <laughs> but I'll get into that a whole nother day. But I, I'm really just hopeful that the Jets turn around. But I'm not fooling Wilson. I'm really not. Well, Kevin, and, and thanks for the call. I, I don't know if a lot of people are. I know I'm not totally sold on him. I'm, I'm in the point of uh, acceptance where I'm like just starting to kind of try to convince myself that that you know it, he's gonna be he's gonna be okay that's what I'm thinking I just I don't know my reservations about him are the fact that he played at a small school um, didn't have a lot of competition you know stellar competition you know so I don't know I you know I don't know about Wilson he's gonna have to uh, convince me that's we'll put it that way um because Sam Darnold, I'm telling you, comeback player of the year. I'm telling you. Told you a long time ago. And guess what? I know there's no dates out yet, but the Jets are scheduled in 2021, right? Poetic, right? The Jets are scheduled in 2021 to travel to Carolina and take on the Panthers. Sam Darnold and the and Robbie Anderson and the Panthers. So, um, again, there's no date on it yet. As of March 30th, those it was just the teams that were announced, home and away. And once that uh, once that comes out, I will let you know. If you, in case you wanted to go wearing wearing your Sam Darnold jerseys down to Carolina, I'll let you know when that is as soon as I know. Okay, let's go to Paul in Floral Park. Paul, what's up? All right, how are you, Daniel? I'm good. How are you? <laughs> All right, good. How was how was your trip to Cincinnati? Oh, it was good. Cincinnati is it's good. not a uh, a very exciting city. We'll put it that way. Right. But right. the stadium was right. beautiful, and and the Reds won. Right. So, right, right. That sounds good. Yeah. So uh, I feel that the uh, Islanders are a much improved hockey team over last year, with the addition of Kyle Palmieri and and Travis Jack, even though we lost Andersley. But I, uh, I'm setting my sights for another playoff rematch with the Tampa Bay Lightning. For sure. For sure. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, Derek Dietrich, I think he, he he's better off at shortstop, but we got to fix that thing with uh, Glaber Torres. This guru. Oh, man. Glaber Torres yeah, at shortstop. Yeah. Listen. Ruining his game. Yeah. He's, and, and, and Paul, good point there. Bringing it up there. Thanks for the call. Um, couple things. Labor Torres at shortstop. We talked about it last week. He is, listen, shortstop is just an instinctual position. At the major league level, Labor Torres hasn't shown me that he has the instincts to play shortstop. He takes wrong angles to the ball. Like, that's instinctual. You can't really teach that or coach that because I've tried. Some players just aren't cut out for it, right? That's one thing. And, and Paul brought up a great name, and I, and I talked about it earlier uh, on Twitter today. First of all, prior to Saturday's game, the Yankees had optioned Tyler Wade to the alternate site. 
I'm not exactly sure how Tyler Wade made the team to begin with. Let's be honest. He's known for his defense. His bat sucks. I think I can hit better than Tyler Wade. I think it was, what, 170 before he was sent down? Come on. And he's known for his, his defense. Oh, yeah? Well, how about that ball that squirted underneath his glove in, in the five hole in, in versus the, the, the uh, I almost said the Devil Rays, versus the Rays on, on Friday? How about that? So he sent him to the alternate site. Not sure why he made the team to begin with because how about Derek Diedrich who's floundering in that alternate site? Derek Diedrich, let me tell you this. I was a huge fan of him. When, when I did the permutations and the charts, I still have them in my notes. I wanted Derek Diedrich to make the team. His career fielding percentages per MLB position played. He's played four of them. Second base, 982. Left field, 988. Third base, 949. First base, 998. Almost perfect, Derek Diedrich at first base. So while the Yankees optioned Tyler Wade to the alternate site, where's the roster move recalling Derek Diedrich to the MLB level? That's the roster move I want to see. And of course, a player that I know you're going to see Later today in, in the Sunday game. Rufend. I always say it. Ru- I've been practicing this name. <laughs> all night. Rugnend. Odor. You're going to see him tomorrow. Or later today. Because. I, I think you see. LeMahieu at first base. Odor at second base. Because this. Uh, <laughs> listen. You got to try something different. And as soon as Aaron Boone can get that through his head. Um, the better. So I think the move, maybe you'll see it this week. Derek Diedrich recalled the MLB level. Let's go to Robbie and Lennox. You're up third on the fan. Yes, it's Daniel McCartan for three. I'm a foul. How are you? (laughs) What's up? (laughs) Well, the last time we talked, we talked about the Yankee lineup. And I said to you, this is a few weeks ago when the season first started about Aaron Hicks playing uh, you know, batting third. I mean, in the history of baseball, Daniel, have you ever heard of a lifetime 234 hitter batting third? I mean, I am so sick of Aaron Boone and his protecting players and his babies, babying players. I'm sick and tired of it. I mean, at least Joe Girardi, when he was managing the Yankees, would have said probably, I don't want to like speak for him, but he probably would have said, you know, Glaber has to make that play. You know, we can't have players like that in order to win games yep. and so forth. Yep. And that's the problem. But here's a problem for me. All right. Aaron Judge, we know how, how frail he is. Okay. He's a big man. In fact, I feel he's too big to play baseball. Mm-hmm. But this idea of batting him second drives me insane. Yeah, Go look at his statistics. Okay. I guarantee you that 95% of his lifetime home runs are solo home runs. And they get this argument all the time from a lot of people on the fan, a lot of hosts on programs that say, well, you want your best hitter up second. He's not even their best hitter to begin with. And secondly, what's the point of putting a guy up second with power? If there's not, what is the you supposed to hit 500 or something? <laughs> I mean, is, are you, right. is your ninth place and eighth place hitter supposed to be a 300 hitter? The problem is, this, the way this team is put together, Daniel, is so ridiculous. I mean, you know, people say, well, it's a righty-lefty thing. Yeah, they need left-handed bats, okay? And this idea of sticking the guy just for the sake of being a, a switcher, a left-handed bat between, you know, Stanton and Johns, it's a stupid argument. Mm-hmm. If he's a good hitter, put him in there. But if he's not a good hitter, don't put him in there. It's a stupid argument. 
And it just drives me crazy. And now they, you know, demote Domingo Harmon already after two starts. Yeah. And can we can we actually let a starter on the Yankees go past five innings, please? I mean, you know, I feel bad for Jacob DeGrom, but it would be nice besides Cole if anybody else on the Yankees could go past four innings, please. Agreed. I mean, it's very frustrating. No. And, uh, and you know what? I'm glad that they're able to do this, to bring a guy um, – you know, like 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 a Schmidt or one of these guys, you know, and and, and pitch them like a, like a king and so forth. Let these young guys develop. I mean, I'm sorry, but Corey Kluber, you know, who knows what this guy's going right. to be? Kluber, I'm, how do you, I'm okay with it ahead. though. Kluber, I'm okay with. Tyone, I'm okay with. I'm not ready to bail on either of them just yet. I'm really not, and I wasn't ready to bail on right. Herman either. Not yet. Right. The problem. No, I'm for, not ready to bail. Go ahead. Just yeah. the, the problem for me is, is the the batting order. I think that's the bigger problem right now. They're not scoring any it. runs. I can't stand it. I mean, I mean, all these guys are terrible situational hitters. And here's one thing. And thanks for the time, Dan. Yeah. One more thing I want to mention. That I hate the second base rule. Okay, but here's how how stupid baseball is, and here's how ridiculous situational baseball is. And I've said this for a long time. That this particular regime on the Yankees, they are terrible situational hitters. Why would Tyler Wade? But thank God he's gone. Okay. Yeah. Why when Tyler Wade is on second base? Okay, and they're down four three. Okay, to the Orioles is okay. Is Clint Frazier swinging to try to get a base hit? You need to take that ball to right field and get Wade to third base. That's how stupid the Yankees are when it comes to situational hitting. Uh-huh. Okay. Yep. I mean, okay, that drives me crazy. Maybe this rule, as dumb as it is, will teach kids, you know, young players, how to hit in situations, how to bunt, how to move. Aaron Boone is the most antiseptic manager. I mean, can you ever hit and run? Can you ever do anything that is ever different besides yep. just getting up there and hitting home runs? Yep. I mean, you know, so that's my problem with yeah. the Yankees. No, Robbie, I mean, we are in. Just, we're, yeah, thanks for yeah, time. Robbie, yeah. we're in lockstep. <laughs> we're in lockstep on most, if not all of those things. It's a long season, all right. <laughs> I know, I know, I know, Robbie, and thanks for the call. I appreciate the yeah. passion there and the call. Um, listen, it's a long season. I get it, but at the same time, I'm uh, I'm in the Brett Gardner school of thought. After the, the game, he said, Brett Gardner said, "Yeah, the the games are just as important now as they are in September." The Yankees just got embarrassed over the past two games by the. The, the the Rays. Guess who they're going to be meeting at the end of the season? The Rays. And they've already taken one of the series. If the Yankees could salvage a game on Sunday, that is. It could, be, it could very well be a sweep. And yes, let the pitchers go longer. And yes, uh, Aaron Judge in the two-hole baffles me. Almost as much as Aaron Hicks in the three-hole baffles me. I'm looking at... Uh, a judge's batting order positions. We all know he's a power hitter, right? Why, like the like you just said, why don't you want to load the bases up so that he can knock in maybe three runs instead of just one or two? Because when you look at, I'm just you know eyeballing it here, batting average based on the the position in which he hits, his best, his actually best average comes when he bats seventh. He hits 364 when he bats seventh. He hits 333. Maybe you don't want to drop him down that far, but he bats 333 when he bats fifth. So shake it up a little bit. Listen, I when I played, I hated batting first, and I hated batting third. Second is where I batted. I wasn't a power hitter. I was a get-on-base kind of hitter. But what I'm trying to say is where you bat in the order, for me anyway, it affected how I played. I felt all kinds of pressure. If there were two outs and I was batting third, I felt like I needed to get a hit. And if I got a hit, 
I wasn't sure I was going to be brought around by my teammates behind me. So I pressed even more. Take Aaron Judge out of the out of the two spot where he hits 283. Put him in the five hole. Shake the whole thing up in what? The, in the ninth game of the season later today. Shake it all up. It's so vanilla. It's like, let's just keep the definition of insanity, right? He's putting the same thing out there and expecting it to change. It's not going to change. And I know I, I sound like I'm hitting the panic button, but I'm just frustrated with the, with the, the inflexibility of what's going on with that lineup. Because, again, Corey Kluber can't score runs for the Yankees. Jamison Tyone cannot score runs for the Yankees. And as far as that extra innings rule, took a note as you were talking, the runner on second, listen, I don't like it either. But like you said, it might teach players to, to hit situationally, finally. It's going to kill the Yankees all year long, actually, when you think about it. But I don't like it. But I understand it in a pandemic. It's going to be gone. That's going to be negotiated away in the next CBA at the end of the season. But you can't have your bullpen being drained in a 14, 15, 16 inning game. You know, it's an international softball rule anyway. I don't know about baseball, but it exists. It's out there. It's not like it's a new thing. So while I don't, I dislike it, I sort of kind of agree with it in a pandemic season. Last season and this season. So, all right, you guys. Woo! Got me all fired up tonight. <laughs> uh, I did have a question for you guys. I have a sort of like a, uh, not a trivia question per se, but I want you to ponder this answer. There have been 30 quarterbacks drafted within the top five picks between the years of 1990 to 2015. 30 quarterbacks drafted within the top five picks. Only two of those quarterbacks have won Super Bowls as starters. Who are they? And then I'm looking at the call here. Tim, you got first crack, then Darren, then Carlo. And then we'll see if anybody else wants to get aboard. 877-337-6666. I'm Danielle McCartan on The Fan. New York City. Hey, what's going on? It's the Moose coming up Monday after Boomer and Geo at 10 a.m. Moose and Maggie right here on the fan. All the baseball to react to. Yankees, Rays, Mets out at City Field. Yes, we will officially be in mid-April, so plenty to react to and overreact to, quite frankly. Also, tons of basketball for you as well. We start at 10 a.m. on Sports Radio 1019 FM and on the Odyssey app. Welcome back to McCartan After Midnight here at 2.51 in the morning in New York City. I quickly want to get right back to your calls. The question I asked right before the break was this. I don't have anything to give you. Maybe like a shout out on on the radio or Twitter or whatever. But there have been 30 quarterbacks drafted within the top five picks from 1990 to 2015. Only two of them have won Super Bowls as starters. Who are the quarterbacks? Let's go to Tim in East Haven. Tim, do you have an answer for me? I do, but I, I think I only have one. Peyton Manning. Yep. John Elway. No, come on. Think of your team. <laughs> My team would be Phil Simms. Eli Manning. Peyton and Eli Manning oh, were the only geez, two quarterbacks two brothers, to win Super Bowls as starters selected <laughs> in the top five picks. I can't think that clearly this late at night, but thank you. <laughs> well, you got one, so that's good. You got a 50%. We got one of the Mannings. <laughs> You're batting 500. Go ahead, Tim. What do you got for me tonight? We're going to talk about the uh, – uh, well, I was going to talk about the Giants. I know before the draft started, before the championship game of college, I was 
throwing Devonta Smith at you guys, you and Kevin mm-hmm. from Camden. I kept saying, yes, I want this guy in the Giants, but that was before Galladay mm-hmm. and Ross, and we got Shepard, and we got Slayton, and I think we need to make a different pick for the number 11 pick. Uh, I'm looking at Micah Parsons and a Rashawn Slater, offensive tackle from Northwestern, who uh, absolutely yeah. dominated absolutely dominated Chase Young in college, who we're going to see twice a year. Yeah, you know, I'd, uh, I'd almost be inclined to go offensive tackle before I went edge because the Giants, they added, right? They added to the defensive line. So I would go... I would go offensive tackle uh, in that situation. Yeah, I like and I like that name too. In terms of uh, the Jets and the Sam Darnold thing fiasco, we'll call it because three years ago, everyone was saying he was the next thing, and you know he wasn't properly supported with the terrible coach that they had, and talent around him was awful, and the offensive line was awful, mm-hmm. and. Uh, Everyone likes the shiny new car. I get it. Zach Wilson will be the shiny new car, and hopefully hopefully it works out. Uh, I hope we're not basing it just on a pro day throw, like Kevin said, because uh, <laughs> right, right. we need to see him game film, and they didn't play top-notch talent, mm-hmm. for one. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, 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 that would worry me. But. Yeah, that's my main concern, too. But then, you know what? I think of, as, as I sit here and I think of that, I also think of, guess who? Who's the best quarterback probably in at least the AFC East? Josh Allen, right? So I think of, of him. Yeah, no, that's, yeah. University yeah, of Wyoming. No. I mean, BYU, University of Wyoming. So that is like the only saving grace. I, I, I'm convincing myself, Tim. Do you hear me? I'm convincing myself. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the norm, but we'll go with it. You know, I I know. So that's why, I, you know, it's the one step in convincing myself that Zach Wilson will be fine, I hope. <laughs> and I played baseball a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, why isn't your best hitter the number three hitter? Why is he pushed up to two, according to, mm-hmm. according to your manager, Boone, there? I, you know, you it's know, a great question. What, is that, what sense does that make? I, if it's two or three, why isn't he batting three in the three hole? I wish I had an answer for you. I don't even think Aaron Boone has an answer for you there, Tim. I don't know. I mean, you give me two on base guys, and then you bring Boone. Boone, uh, just, uh, sorry, you bring in Judge, mm-hmm. and then if Judge fails, you got Stanton. You got two guys knocking the two guys that are supposed to be on base, and and that's the way they need to approach this. The Aaron Hicks of the three holes, laughable, and 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 immovable. He's sharpied in there with no whiteout. He's sharpied in there. Yeah, he must have some nude photos of Aaron Boone or something. Oh, Tim, stop it. <laughs> stop it. Thank you for taking my call. Of course, Tim. Talk to you next week. Bye. Um, it, it's, it baffles me how inflexible Aaron Boone has been with, uh, with this lineup, especially the top of it, especially the top of it. I mean, ideally, I would probably go, honestly, I'd probably go DJ LeMahieu one. Two, call me crazy. Two, I'd put Clint Frazier at in the two spot. I'd put Aaron Judge three. Stanton four. Actually, honestly, I'd put Aaron Judge three. I'd almost move. I'm I'm inclined to move Gary Sanchez up to four. Actually, at this point in time, because he's got a little bit of a hot hand. He's seeing the ball well. See, the thing is, I don't like, and even when I had my own teams, I don't like. You're the number two hitter. You're the number three hitter. 
I liked playing the the hot hand or who's seeing the ball well, you move it up in the order. Who's not seeing the ball well, you move down, take a little pressure off you, and then once you regain your you know your your vision and your hot and hot hand eye coordination, then you move back up. See, I, I just don't like this inflexible lineup. And the same thing for the Mets too. Why is Conforto still batting third? Why is Alonso still batting fourth? They have not come through in clutch situations. Shake it up a little bit. And Rojas, I'm surprised. He used, uh, I mean, every day he was last season putting a, a new lineup out there. I'm a little surprised at him this year that he's not doing that. So same thing for both teams. Both teams are in the same boat, and they are rowing in the same direction right now. Both of our New York teams. Welcome back to McCartan After Midnight. In the 3 o'clock hour, we are rolling right along. Just a little uh, programming here. At 3.20, we're going to be joined by Connie Carberg, who is the first female NFL scout, but more importantly, scout for the New York Jets. And she's going to give us the entire rundown of Jets' strategy and her opinion from a scouting perspective for the Jets and obviously the 2021 draft. And then, right after she's done, I'm going to have a little, a little game show segment that I thought of, and uh, Jets fans, this is going to be for you. You're gonna, I'm going to give you some quotes from some draft analysts of Zach Wilson or Sam Darnold, and you're going to tell me. Nick's going to play some uh, some music underlying, some game show music. You're going to tell me was that quote about Zach Wilson or was that quote about Sam Darnold? So that'll be at 3:40. So uh, another thing is that I uh, the city of Cincinnati. Um, Paul was asking about it before. I got to tell you, there's not much to do. Let's put it that way. I actually ended up going to two Reds games. I was only planning on going to one, the one I pre-bought the tickets for. But um, the night I got there, I I waited in the line. I I purchased a $16 bleacher seat, which had a back to it, which was good. I got to tell you that Great American Ballpark is completely underrated. I actually really liked it. And what I liked about it, they had, first of all, it was at 25% capacity. I loved it. I had so much space. I loved it. I wish all the stadiums were always like that. There was no line at the bathroom. There was no line to get any food, any drinks, and you had space you could spread out. It was the best. But the pyrotechnics show that Great American Ballpark puts on, after every strikeout by a Reds pitcher, lots of fire comes shooting out of those stacks in right center field. You know them. And every home run gets a big, loud fireworks display with, with those poppy ones, boom, boom, boom ones, right? And after the win, I saw two of them, by the way. Maybe I'm their good luck charm. The fireworks display was even bigger. So that's what impressed me most, I would say, about the Reds' ballpark. Not No, not the, the limited capacity, because that's, a, that's everywhere. But I did like the pyrotechnics. And I'm not really a fireworks person, but I kind of liked it. It's pretty cool. And then I, I sat in section 132 for 60 bucks in a pot of one, by the way. There was nobody in the row in front of me. I was the only one in my row, and there was nobody in the row behind me. So I liked it. But I had a fun, a fun little time. But the city, the city itself, eh, really not much to do. All right, let's go to Darren all the way out in California. You're up on the fan. Hey, Coach. How are you? Man? I'm great. How are you? So i, I got to share a Cincinnati story, if I can, real quick. Tell me. Because you brought you brought back a little like a nightmare. Mm. So I'm flying into Cincinnati for the first time years ago, like 20 years ago. Yeah, and you know this if you flew in, you, you land in Kentucky. Yes. So so I'm sleeping on the plane, and the plane lands, and I hear "Welcome to Kentucky." <laughs> I, 
<laughs> I, I freaked out for about 30 seconds until someone said, no, this is the airport you, you're supposed to be in for Cincinnati. Yes. So, but what you're, you're peeing in Cincinnati is spot on. So I will tell you this, waffles and chick, fried chicken next time. Oh, I got the, the fried chicken. chicken. I didn't do the waffles, but the chicken, oh my God, it was so good. Yeah, you get a chance next time to do that too. Yeah, it's very, very good. I Trust me, my favorite meal is the next one. So anyway, Matt. <laughs> Uh, you know, they everything you said is spot on. Uh, I want the pressure on Coferno. I want I want him to play for that contract. You know what? Don't take don't give him off on uh, Sundays. Don't let him think about it. Go absolutely the other way. Let him be a spectacle in front of people. He's got to work his way out of it, or he's got to go someplace else. End of story. Yeah. Did he lean in and cheat? Absolutely, he cheated. Mm-hmm. But, you know that, that's cheating. We both know that. Yes. Um, also. I'll take my bronze medal in your your uh, basketball, uh, you know, uh, pool. Uh, pretty, pretty happy with that. Not bad, not bad. Pretty good. Way better all, than me. <laughs> all, all, listen, you know, I, I think you maybe threw it for the rest of us. Um, also, do you know the name Haley Dulcini? If you don't, Haley Dulcini. No. She's thrown a couple of no-hitters already for Fresno State. Excellent pitcher, you know, in, in college softball. I'll check. I'm just having Dominate. now. I'll uh, I'm gonna I'll look her up. Sure. Yeah, Haley Dolcini, D O L C I N I. Yep, got it. Now you and I are both uh, are with all for Sam Donald. Mm-hmm. I think the trade was ridiculous because here's the thing, you know, if you have a piece of crap car, you buy new hubcaps, you still have a piece of crap car. Mm. You know, right now you don't have a line for him. You have no running backs. The defense can't get off the field. And the quarterback's your problem. Now, by the way, that has nothing to do. Zach Wilson might be great. But to dump a guy who's on a rookie contract right now doesn't make any sense for me because you're really not facilitating any advancement on the team other than selling people uh, snake oil right now that possibly the team is going to turn around in those hideous, god-awful uniforms. Please go back to the tradition of Joe Willie's. Thank you very much. It's always great listening to you. Of course, Darren. I appreciate the call. Um, about the uniforms, I don't like. I don't. I don't care for the the Joe Willie uniforms. What I care, I like the ones of like the Winkerbet years. If they could somehow modernize those with some metallic helmets, and I like that would be the look. I think they missed on this look as well. Um, but as far as the Sam Darnold thing, yeah, I get it. Um, that that was my point of view all along. Uh, I guess I'm just at the point where I'm just trying to convince myself that, you know, this is the right answer. Trust in Joe Douglas. I'm just trying to convince myself because, like you said, I would have kept him one more year. Putting Inserting Tom Brady or Patrick Mahomes onto this Jets roster is not going to make them a playoff contender off the bat. I get it. I think you build it out. And then once you have built it out, then you make the adjustment at the quarterback position. And who knows? Maybe Sam Darnold would have flourished under the new quarter, the new coach. A new offensive coordinator. Who knows? We'll never. We'll, we will never know. But what we will know now is Sa- what Sam Darnold can do with Matt Rule, who admittedly was not my first choice for the Jets head coach. You know, don't I? That, let's put that out there. But it certainly wasn't Adam Guru. So we're we're now going to see what he can do with Matt Rule, who was in the running for the Jets coach coaching job. We'll see. Carlo in Kings Park, you're up. Morning, Daniel. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Good. Good. Uh, definitely talk about some Jets and some Yanks. Mm-hmm. Um, I had said last week I had a horrible feeling that Sam was gone, and unfortunately I was right. Um, I wish I could be that way with as far as Lotto. That would be great. But <laughs> um, let me tell you right now, 
they never gave Sam a full full chance. Never. Because they always had this excuse, that excuse, this excuse. And now he'll go to Carolina, he'll flourish with rule, mm-hmm. and he will. I have no doubt in my mind yep. that he will. Mm-hmm. And all Jet fans have right now is Zach Wilson. And, and the, hope, like, the hope of Zach Wilson. Exactly. Exactly. And everyone's like, is he good? Is he not good? Is he good? Is he not good? I mean, it's ridiculous. I mean, I mean, we're going to go through it, you know, not for anything. If he fails, God forbid he fails, we're looking at another, we have to draft another quarterback another four years from now, mm-hmm. and it's just like, oh. Carlo, they better be right about Zach Wilson. That's all I have to say. They better oh, I, be I right agree. about him. Oh, I agree completely. I've had enough. I've had, look, I, I'm a minority. I like Sam. I like Sam. If like, oh, you're crazy, I go, okay, fine. But like I said, if he goes to Carolina and he flourishes with, with, with the, you know, with, with, the, right, with the right things in, in, in place, I don't want to hear it. I just don't want to hear it. Yep. I really don't because he never got the full chance, never got the right. And everybody's like, oh, it's Sam's fault, Sam's fault. You don't have a line. You don't have a line. You have no receivers. I mean, yeah. I mean, no wonder he sees ghosts. He sees ghosts because nobody could protect. Nobody could protect him. That's the problem. That's the thing. I mean, it's ridiculous. I know. And he wasn't prepared. He didn't have a game plan going into the games. It seems to me. What if I, t- I said it last week? If any one of my players ever said that they were seeing ghosts on a field, that's on me, the coach, not on the player. Absolutely. But then again, the guru. Mm-hmm. Yep. But then the guru. Adam Guru. Oh, unbelievable. Um, and as far as the feeble Yankees, and I hate saying that. Yeah. God, do I hate saying that. I love my Yankees like you wouldn't believe. Um, they look lost. Lost. Completely lost. Would it be shocking if they were to get swept today in Tampa? No. Nope. Because this team right now has no pulse. And it's a horrible thing to say for me, being a Yankee fan. This team has no no response. Yeah, None. I said it in the open. Are they alive? Can someone check on them in the dugout and see if they're alive? They look pathetic, Daniel. Yeah. Absolutely pathetic. And let me tell you right now, like you said before, you said many times, and I agree completely with you, can this team do situational hitting? This team cannot do situational hitting. It's been years. And, and, and not for anything. Why be so stubborn? If you know it's not going right, you know the expression of insanity. Yes. You keep doing it again and yep. again and again. Said it before. I mean, why would you keep doing it again and again and again? Don't know. It's ridiculous. Ridiculous. Not for anything. They have got to. They. I know it's early, but they look. Prove me wrong, please. Please prove me wrong because this team looks dead. Yep. I hate saying that, God, but oh my God. Nobody can, nobody can, nobody can muster any offense. The pitching is not the problem. The pitching, well, I mean, well, listen, yeah. Corey, Corey Kluber and Carla, thanks for the call there. Pitching is not the problem. I mean, it is a little bit, right? But but you hold the the, the Tampa Bay Rays to to to, to four runs. I mean, that's not a lot, right? With you look at this lineup, Stanton and Judge and all these guys, four runs should be nothing, right? Kluber can't score you any runs. Cole can't score you any runs. Tyone can't score you. Herman, who they sent him to the alternate side, he can't score you any runs. But I will say, I, I saw, uh, uh, what's that word? A, 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 the Moby Dick reference, the white whale. I saw a white whale Friday. Giancarlo Stanton hit against the shift in the third inning on Friday with two outs, runners on second and third, 
after that DJ LeMahieu ground rule double. And he hit it through the second base hole. He beat the shift, and guess what? Two runs scored to tie the game. So it's possible. Why does it happen all the time? Coming up next, Connie Carberg breaks down the New York Jets 2021 draft strategy. Stay put. Daniel McCartan, Sports Radio 101.9 Welcome back to McCartan After Midnight as we welcome the NFL's first female scout hired by, of course, our New York Jets here in New York. Connie, welcome to the show. It's an honor to talk with you tonight. Well, thank you so much, Danielle. I'm pleased to be on here and connect with you. Listen, when I asked you to come on the show last week, I thought this was going to be a very different conversation. <laughs> I thought we were going to be comparing Sam Darnold and Zach Wilson, but here we are. Sam Darnold has been traded to the Panthers. Yep. A fresh start for him. You said, I thought Sam was a great pick for the Jets. He's a fierce competitor. If you could talk to him, I know you have a great relationship with the players. If you could talk to him or tell him something right now, if you had the opportunity to, what would you tell him? So first of all, tell him that I believed in him and I still do. I believed in him from the time I watched him at USC and the first year when he was, you know, 31 touchdowns to nine interceptions and he won nine in a row. And then he was the hero in the Rose bowl. Then he was even actually talked about for Heisman the next year. And he lost Juju Smith Schuster to the draft. Then he had the pro day in the rain. So what I would, though, I would say to him, I believed him. I think he didn't get a great deal. He didn't get the support. When you're throwing to, and I'm not trying to hurt these guys at all, because, but they're just not top-notch great receivers. But the guys that he was throwing to, because we know Denzel Mims, who he had hoped for, missed the first seven games. We know Brashad Paraman kept getting hurt. Every one of our receivers kept getting hamstrings. I never saw anything like it. And so we were down to Braxton Berrios. And of course, Crowder is probably our best receiver. And then we thought Herndon would be great because he had a great year under Todd Bowles in 2018. They were a really good connection. So everything just went wrong. And he had no running back that could break a run longer than five yards. But I would just tell him I still believe in him. I'm so glad he's getting a, a restart. And he's already starting back with Robbie. Christian McCaffrey. So I think it's a really great opportunity with new coaches and, and a new offensive coordinator and to see if whatever bad habits that he developed over the last couple of years, they can break him of. I'm, I'm totally with you on that. Finally, he gets the weapons that he needs, any quarterback needs. And don't forget, the Jets moved up to get him. What they did was, so everybody's clear, all the listeners, they, the Jets sent the Colts three second round picks over two seasons. Did the Jets get enough back for Sam Darnold in this deal? In the ideal world, you'd say, oh no, I, I I think he deserves to get a, get a one back in return. But the way everything fell with other quarterbacks landing on other teams in the pandemic year and all the rest of this kind of stuff. So I think Joe Douglas has been an, um, just amazing in what he has done with all the different trades and the different moves he's made. And so I think he, we know we're not, this is not a year that we plan on going to the playoffs. If we did, oh, whoa, that'd be gravy. But we know it's at least a two-year plan. So to get a two for him next year and a four and then the six this year, I think Joe Douglas did a, a really good job. And he had a really tough decision. I mean, uh, I wouldn't want to have made that decision. I really wouldn't. I know he's paid a lot to do it, but still, I wouldn't want that decision. 
Yeah, me neither. But Connie, <laughs> as a talent evaluator and a decision maker, you know, you worked with the team and you discovered one of the most beloved Jets of all time, Mark Gastineau. What did you see in him? Like, what drew you to him? Well, the time happened when we were going to be in this coaching in the Senior Bowl, which I consider a big advantage for any teams that are coaching in it, like Miami and the Panthers did this year, especially in a pandemic year. So they got to talk to the players, see them face to face and know what they are as human beings. Back in 79, we were coaching, and I think that's the last time we did. Walt Michaels was a head coach, and a player, defensive lineman, Mike Stensrud, got hurt. So my boss was on the road, and he called. He said, we need a replacement for the North defensive line. So at that time, remember, there's no computers, but everything is by hand. So basically, I did whatever research I could at the Jets, and then I went through all the different reports that we had from our scouts, plus the National Combine that we were in. And then I said, well, there's a lot of these guys. So I'm thinking, how, how am I going to decide? And then one guy was a little bit faster, but he was from a very small school. To me, interviews are very important. I worry about that this year because Zoom is good, but there's nothing like body language, being able to ask more and more questions and all that stuff and see how much they really love the game. One guy, when I called him, said, I'm on the next plane. Just get me there. That's all my. That's all I care about in life is being, a, being an NFL player, blah, blah, blah. He was just so full of enthusiasm and passion. So I hung up the phone and I said, let me check it out. That that last guy was just a motor guy and attitude and passion guy I always like. And so I looked it up and it was Mark Gastineau. He was probably going to be anywhere at that time between like a third and a seventh round, but he had speed. He had four, five, five in the 40 at six, five and 270, but he was from East Central Oklahoma, which is a small school. And I said, let's take this guy named Mark Gastineau. And what did we end up doing? Our number one pick turned out to be Marty Lyons that year. And our number two pick turned out to be Mark. So that was half of the sack exchange we got in one year, 1979. That's awesome. Your thoughts, you know, you know, we're going back a little bit, but how the process is all done nowadays, you mentioned the Zoom. What can a scout learn from a pro day where the player, I don't know, you tell me, but when the players got no defense on them, to me, it's kind of like, eh, I don't know. Right. And they've been rehearsing, like they said, now they said, Mac Jones didn't, you know, he didn't have his regular receivers, but we know uh, Zach Wilson did. I'm sure Justin Fields and the other guys, I think they all did. They had their receipt, their basic receivers and they worked with them. So yes, it's scripted. They want to show what they can do. And exactly, you, you know, football is, as we all say, is not played in shorts. Same thing with timing at the pro day. Now, this was the only reason the pro days were really good this year because there was no combine. And in the combine, they wear the guys out. They get up early. They have interviews. They have their physicals. And then four days later, they're running their 40s. So they're tired. This year, it was ideal situations. So all of a sudden, everybody's running 4-3-5. When you're there at a pro day, can you say, oh, can you, I, I know you said it was prescriptive, but can you say, oh, can I see this again? Can you show me this instead? Are you allowed to do that? Yes, they, okay. they are. They, they, I think they asked for a couple of extra ones, even this year to see when Mac Jones was throwing, could he rip it down the middle and, and that kind of stuff versus the timing pattern and all that stuff. So okay. yes, as I said, this year was so different. That's the only time that these scouts got to see a player in person. Normally you're talking to the player. When you're at the school, you can talk to different people. You can talk to, maybe you'll bump into a neighbor. You'll get to know the kid a little bit. Then you have them in for further talks and physicals. But this year was completely different. It's going to be the toughest draft, I think, for the scouts to do. Well, that sets up my next questions about what the Jets are going to do. We're talking with Connie Carberg, the first female scout in the NFL is with us on the fan right now. Because I, like many other people around the league, I'm sure, wished for the Jets to stick with Sam. I'm going to need some convincing here. I'm going to be honest. You used to phone this sentence in on draft day, and I'm sure it's the most exciting sentence in all of football. <laughs> Could you complete the sentence for us tonight with the number two overall pick, of the 2021 draft, the New York Jets select 
Zach Wilson of BYU. I never expected that when the year began. I watch games. I never move out of my chair on Saturday or Sunday. BYU, a lot of times, they were lucky. They had 11 games. A lot of divisions only had five games or no games or one game like North Dakota State for Trey Lance. At least, even though he was playing, not, I don't want to say lesser talent, but a little bit lower, lower talent, but also BYU does not have Devontae Smith at wide receiver or Jalen Waddell or that kind of stuff. So, you know, those guys all have top-notch receivers and tight ends and running backs to work with. What Zach Wilson did, he throws a beautiful ball, a little bit sometimes to me overconfident in throwing into double coverage at times because he has such confidence in his arm and just expect the guys to come up with it. Other than that, he moves well. You can see that he loves the game. My only question on him is injuries. The Jets were satisfied 150 players are going to Indianapolis to be examined. And I hope he's there, but the Jets made the trade, you know, without, maybe they did examine him somehow, but I really don't know because he had, um, he had the labrum on his throwing shoulder. He had hand surgery. And they say he still has a problem on the left shoulder. To me, coming from the Jets back when we rejected so many players or put them much lower when we were there because of pre-draft physicals. Mm. So that's the, only, that's the only thing that worries me. From a talent evaluation standpoint, I know Trevor Lawrence is out of the question for the Jets, but everybody's looking at Zach Wilson as the second best. Between the two of them, what is the biggest like, quote-unquote drop-off between the two of them? The body of work, the amount of, you know, three great years in college for Trevor playing the competition he's playing, as I said, but even though he's surrounded by better players, from what we can see, he has the ability to throw in the pocket, throw the ball long. Again, he does have the love for the game because he was one of the ones, just like Justin Fields, that went to bat to make sure we had the season. Remember, right. they were not going to have, so you got to give those both those guys a lot of credit. Right. Just with Zach Wilson, it's just a matter, I think, we don't have the body of work. And his la- his junior year was not as great. This was a spectacular year this year. 31 and three touchdowns and interceptions. Does it concern you, though, the level of competition, the body of work? Is it concerning from a scouting perspective of him? Sometimes it depends on the position. That's why it was important to go to pro day. They, they were able to see the guy in person. And, you know, because everybody thinks he's uh, like a Johnny Manziel in his height and weight. And he's not. He's over 6'2". His hands were nine and a half. I think they're bigger than Trey's, a little bit bigger, and they're bigger than um, Patrick Mahomes. We know that he's going to be able to hold onto the ball, even though he's not this huge. I, you know, his body is not thick like Justin Fields. I'm not a believer that you have to be this great runner. I just think you have to be mobile to some degree in the way the game is played because of the RPOs and all that kind of stuff. Maybe I'm still old fashioned where I don't want my quarterback running constantly as far as injuries. Me neither. <laughs> and speaking of running, if you watch the Super Bowl, Patrick Mahomes was running for his life in the Super Bowl. <laughs> Jet fans are like, and we watch this every Sunday. So do the Jets have the talent around him where they, where they did fail Sam Darnold in that aspect? Is this the revamped Jets? You know, I think Joe Douglas is making the, the right things. You know, last year was his first year. So we have to, you know, there were so many years in a row where we didn't. And as you saw how many of our, even our number one draft picks through the years are all gone, either traded or cut. You have to hit on people. So yes, we already, Makai, we know, and I'm sure he's getting his body even stronger this year. Makai Beckton, he put in some other, some guys that were still better on George Fant had a pretty good year, but we do need some guards. And so we've got to get some offensive guards in there to, to protect because more and more people are coming up the middle for the center and the guards on pass rushes into the face. I think he will definitely do that. He didn't have the time to do it with Sam. And Sam had, oh my goodness, 
between, as you said, between injuries, he had very little to work with. What's the difference between one of the things my, a big question to me, cause I, I come from a coaching background, a player, obviously played all the, all the, all the sports except for football, but yeah. Yeah, uh, me too. <laughs> what, what's the difference between being voted captain by your teammates and being put on a leadership council at BYU? This is something I had never heard of before. So I, you know, gotta be honest with you. And so I try to delve into it from what I can see. It's a big thing to be on the leadership council from not being a captain. The only thing with this was after his last year, he had a very good freshman year, but then his last year with the injury and recovering from it, it wasn't as good. So he was in a fight with another quarterback or two to win the job. So when they did the captains, he was not for sure the starter from what I understand. But right after that, and when the tight end Bushman got hurt, he was immediately a captain. Say it's Zach Wilson, you getting to know the players as much. I mean, you pick up the phone, you dial his phone number. What do you say to him? Those days were so great. You're a lot younger than I am, but you know whether it was Wesley Walker and Joe Klecko and you know I mean we can go through the whole Marvin Powell, all those guys from the '70s and '80s teams. You do, and you call them, and then we would set them up to come in, but just to welcome them to the team. And at that time, they used to bring the whole rookie class out, and we'd all go into New York City to watch the highlight film, that type of thing. It was a much lower key time in the '70s. You could get to know everybody. Yeah, and you pick up the phone, 2021, or maybe it's a FaceTime call with Zach Wilson. What did they tell him? I know you've been drafted by the Jets. Welcome to New York, right, or New Jersey, whatever. I know when he comes here, he maybe think it's right in New York City, but we know it's in Florham Park, New Jersey, and playing right there at life. It is. It's got to be very exciting for this kid. We're talking about Connie Carbert, affectionately known as Girl Scout here on the fan. Uh, you're an Ohio State grad. Is there a chance the Jets go for Justin Fields? Is there a chance he plays professional football in New York next season? Good question. I will never, ever try to figure out Joe Douglas completely because he is the best at keeping secrets I've ever seen. In the past, the Jets have leaked and all kinds of things. Nobody expected it right on Monday, right, with, with Sam. That came boom as a total surprise for everybody. So whatever Joe does, there is one more pro day that Justin Fields is holding. Scouts all have different opinions. Coaches have different opinions. So it can really vary. They could be putting out complete false information. But this is from all the things you hear that it's still going to be, you know, Zach Wilson. Justin Fields is, a, I think, a really good quarterback, a smart kid. You know, he turned, he turned down Harvard. He turned down Stanford. He turned down, he's a smart, smart kid. You saw how tough he was. I know there were questions that he held onto the ball a little bit long, but, but gee whiz, I thought he did a great job too. This group of quarterbacks is excellent. You're not going to see this come along for a long time. Beyond the quarterbacks, the later rounds, somewhat lost in all of this. The Jets have a slew of picks. So after quarterback, we know inserting Tom Brady into this, this roster is not going to make the Jets a playoff or Super Bowl contender, right? So what deficiencies need to be addressed immediately right after the quarterback is selected? Boys, we have so we do have a lot of needs. So they could either go, you know, they could go the best player available for almost any position, really, I would say. But I know we devalue the running backs and everything else. But if we don't get a running back, if we don't go for, uh, we haven't had a speed running back that could break something. And especially in the Mike LaFleur's offense, which is based on Kyle Shanahan, where you have the, the one cut and you go. And if you have speed, like Mostert had and Jeff Wilson have, we haven't had that. Our longest run, the year before, this was 17 yards by the quarterback. So it's really, to me, important. I want to get a running back, whether we get him in Etienne or if we can get one of the two kids from North Carolina. I would love to get either one of them. Well, then I would say uh, offensive guard. Yeah. Uh, you know, I like the kid from Ohio State, uh, Sermon. Oh, Trey Sermon. I yeah, like he, him. 
but he ended up coming out strong after Oklahoma. I would love to have seen if he hadn't gotten hurt. He was awesome in the last few games of the year. He just changed everything mm-hmm. to make them just uh, roll over everybody. So there are, but I do, I definitely do think we have to, as I said, I like the fact that we've got uh, Tevin Coleman and, we, and I want to see Ty Johnson because he's got the speed and we've got Adams. But I wanted, I still want to draft a running back, whether it's a first round or second or third. At 23, you're saying best available, any position. Best, I would go with the best available. It could be offensive guard. It could be another edge guy because we, you know, we, I know we got Lawson, but I would love to get a kind of a, an outside rusher type of type of person if they're still there. And linebackers, I don't know what C.J. Mosley is doing, if he's coming back or not. So if he is, that changes things. If not, we still need a linebacker with speed. The thing we need is speed. The Jets have never been fast. And today's game, and that's what I do like about with Robert Sala as head coach and uh, with Michael Floor, they are based on speed, on people being in motion, mismatches, and aggressiveness. And I love it. Well, it seems like Zach Wilson would fit right into that. Yes, I think that's I think that's one of the reasons it really does work. I know you mentioned a couple of running backs. Or do any names pop out to you at any position that you're like, oh, the Jets are going to get him, and yes, they nailed it. Boy, Wyatt Davis, I like of Ohio State at guard. Tevin Jenkins from Oklahoma State, I'm a big fan of. Even though he's a tackle, a lot of tackles, you know, they love to move into guard and really get and solidify one side of the line or the other. The other thing I, I know if we down in the third round, even I would still go for a speed receiver. I know, you know, we have Crowder and he's like a four, five, six or four, six runner. If we could get a guy in the third round or fourth round, I would like to get a, a wide receiver there if possible to with speed besides Mims, because you saw all the injuries we had last year. So in, in a LaFleur system, what is another integral piece that the Jets need to go out and get? I know many teams don't use a fullback. Well, we know the Patriots always have. We know the 49ers have, and just a few other teams. And we know Kyle Huszczyk, and he was like a 4-7-7 seven, seven guy. But that's the type of guy that we would need to get is to find. It's not easy to find him. Sometimes you find a tight end. You can put, we, you know, we're trying that with Trevin Wesco. There's a guy named Ben Mason out of Michigan. Not super fast, but a guy that can, will be a special teams guy. This is like a late rounder, seventh rounder, sixth rounder, you know, kind of guy. Or you, I don't even know if we will get drafted, but that's the kind of guy. And a Tory Carter of LSU. Those are real fullbacks. Dwayne Eskridge at wide receiver is the other guy that I would like who runs a four. He not only is fast, but he returns kicks. From what I understand, that's probably another big thing in this offense. They want versatility. We talk a lot of offense. Is there a, a defensive standout or sleeper pick that, that you would recommend to the Jets? Well, I like the um, Robinson, the defensive back out of UCF. We do need to get some corners. The, the very top ones will be gone by the time probably we get to 23. We have to look around and get a couple of others that will fit into the defensive backfield. It's very important. Well, Connie's book, X's and O's Don't Mean I Love You, I love that, is now available on Amazon. It's a must-have for Jets fans. And and, and Connie, I have to get myself a copy. And I hope you enjoy it because it's a positive football book. It's about the Jets. It's about my life with the Jets. And it's great. But you can get it on Amazon. Also, if you go to my Twitter page at Connie Scouts or my website, which is now being also redone and updated and hopefully should be done before the draft. My son is doing, and he's the one that originated it 12 years ago. And I had no idea that it was going to blossom into all this kind of thing with talking to people. And I've had like a a whole new life. Thanks for joining us tonight. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's so nice to talk with you, Danielle. Take care. Go Jets. And we've got five contestants on board 
ready to play my little version of Jets trivia and, of course, make their sports points, whatever whatever they want to talk about. Um, but I'm very excited for this. Nick is ready to go. He's got some music, some right buzzers, and some wrong buzzers, and we're going to have some fun coming up in a second after the break. I'm Daniel McCartan with you on The Fan. Hey, what's going on? It's the Moose coming up Monday after Boomer and Geo at 10 a.m. Moose and Maggie right here on The Fan. All the baseball to react to. Yankees, Rays, Mets out at City Field. Yes, we will officially be in mid-April, so plenty to react to and overreact to, quite frankly. Also, tons of basketball for you as well. We start at 10 a.m. on Sports Radio 101.9 FM and on the Odyssey app. Ready, set, let's go. <laughs> I like this. Ready, set, let's go. Let's get jiggy with you guys tonight here on McCartan After Midnight here on the fan. I want to get right to it. This is, I've been thinking about this. I'm telling you, for two weeks, I've been thinking about doing this. I put it together for this week, and we are going to go to our first, well, here's here's how this is going to work. I'm going to give you guys a um, a, a scout, w- what a scout has said about either Zach Wilson or Sam Darnold. So Zach Wilson in 2021, the scouts, right? And then Sam Darnold from 2018. So I'm going to give you a line from the scout, and you're going to tell me, was that about Zach Wilson, or was that said about Sam Darnold at the time, you know, of the draft in those years, okay? And then, of course, you can make your point, whatever you're going to make, okay? So, first up, first contestant, let's go to Doug. In, and by the way, I don't have anything to give away, you guys. This is just for fun here. So, Doug in Long Island, you are our first contestant. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Okay, so would you, I, I, uh, would you like an easy, medium, or a hard one? Oh, you can just go either way. It don't matter. All right. Let's hear the first one. We'll go a little bit easy. All right. So this NFL scout or an NFL scout said this about, was it Zach Wilson or Sam Darnold? The quote is, he's special. He makes some throws that are just ridiculous, and he barely breaks a sweat doing it. But if this kid played against better competition, he might be going number one instead. Who was it, Wilson or Darnold? That has to be Wilson, no? Yeah, you got it. That was Wilson. Sure. The competition gave it away. I I thought so. That's why it was easy. You were the leadoff. I I started easy with you. Good job, Doug. All right. What's your point? All right. So, you know, the small school thing. You're a Giants fan, right? Uh, Listen, I root for both teams. But if they were to play each other, I'd root for the Jets. Phil Simms did pretty good from the small school. Kurt Warner. Josh Tony Allen. Romo, Josh Allen, Josh Allen. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, Wyoming plays a little better competition than a lot of those teams. Um, the whole thing with his pro day, he's had shoulder surgery. That's what they, that's what they wanted to see. So when he went to the left and threw the ball to the right like that, that showed them he had a strong shoulder. That's the thing they wanted to see. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe in Joe Douglas, and I've known all along he wasn't going with with Sam Donald because last off season. He would have got something for Sam. He didn't believe in Sam. He did nothing to help Sam last offseason. Nobody was higher on Sam than I was. The only thing I've asked on this station on numerous shows for people who support Sam, mm-hmm. and I've still yet to hear it, what is the one thing that he does that is so good? What is the thing that he stands out and does? He's not a vocal leader. Of, I'm not looking for a rah-rah guy, but quarterbacks have to be the leader. He's not that. Yeah, but and you don't know that. He, You're not in the locker room with him. You don't know that he's not a leader. Derek Jeter's not a rah-rah guy. Did he have command of that locker room? How about Mariano Rivera? Come on. You can't say that. Well, you're, not in the, you're not in the locker room. Uh, wait, I watch that every game. I see it. On, you can see it on the field. You can? How, um, how do you see it the on other, the field? You can, if you watch the games. Okay, listen, yeah, I do watch the listen, games. I don't tell, deny no, tell, Doug, come on. Tell me, tell me, Doug, how you can see it from your couch. How can you see it from your couch? I want a guy who gets in other guys' faces. No, I want no. a guy oh, okay. a little bit like that. Yeah. Oh, so, that's the leader on the field. You guys see that toughness. Oh, so the, and the, the raw guy you're looking for. Okay, I got you. A little bit, yeah. Oh, okay. Now, for everybody who's saying 
that he didn't get any help or whatever. I agree with you. But if you deny that he didn't make a ton of head-scratching throws, you're not telling the truth as a Jeff fan. Granted, he didn't get the, the right guys or whatever. But what I want to see, now you guys say, you know, he's going to be the comeback player of the year. If you guys, is he as good as all you guys are saying? And he's going over to Christian McCaffrey. He's going back to Robbie Anderson, a very good coach. He should do a little better. Maybe be a, an all-pro or lead them to the playoffs. And I just want to ask you one thing about the draft, if I can. Go ahead. All right. The, the lady you just had on, did she say Javante Williams from North Carolina, the running back? She said, I don't know if she mentioned it. She said both of them. She would take. Yeah, they have two. Of them. I, well, yeah. I love Williams. And she said she would be the, good with both of them, either of them. Yeah, he, their running backs are good. They went under the radar. North Carolina, they, the both of them were dynamic. But yeah. the guy I would like to see them get second because they need corners too. Yes. The, the kid from Northwestern, if the Raiders don't take him at 17, I think he's going to fall to the Jets. And that would be a huge pickup because a, a lot of guys are, ha- are high on him. And uh, they also think with Salah's defense, he's going to help. So, And the thing with this trade in him, you know, Sam's in his fourth year. That's the problem. Well, that, that is was the, the problem. biggest problem. Yes. You know, it's you know everybody likes the kid. The kid's a great kid. Nobody. I I loved him coming. I wanted him to succeed. I I can't say a bad thing about him. I, you know, I wanted him to be a little more of a rah rah guy. But that whole thing with him having to get paid and how do you know that when are they going to be in this position to maybe start over well, with their choice of a guy? That's the thing. That's ultimately what it came down to, I believe. Yes, because Joe Douglas told you as much. He said if the Jets had the twelfth or the thirteenth overall pick, then then they wouldn't be doing that. You know, they, then they would be keeping Sam. But now, since they're so high up, they have the opportunity to do it. They're going to go out and do it. That's the the feeling I got anyway. Right, and there's no surprise. It's not going to be Fields. It's definitely Wilson because Philly wanted Wilson, and supposedly they offered the Jets a lot to get Wilson, and when they couldn't, that's why they traded back. So the Jets have definitely taken Wilson. It's mm-hmm. already done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. So hopefully it works out. I've been waiting. I'm 55. I've still not seen a franchise quarterback. I'm waiting. Well, Doug, maybe in, in Wilson, you're going to get you're gonna get one. We'll see. I mean, listen, the only thing you can do is root for the kid, right? That's it. That's all you can do. You can root for him. And I still am going to be a Sam Darnold fan coming up uh, in Carolina for sure. Unless or until they play the Jets, of course. Okay, uh, let's go to Mike in Jacksonville. You are going to be our next contestant on the Jets trivia. Hey. hey, Mike. All right, do you want an easy question, a medium question, or a hard one? Well, you know, I'm, I'm a 58 Jet fan, so give me a hard one. Okay. Can, uh, All right. So, uh, okay, here's a hard one. Oh, let me decide which one, which one, which one. Okay, this is from a, a draft scout. He said, is this about Wilson or Darnold? With his feel and timing, he hits receivers on the run, leading them to pick up yards after the catch. He is a rhythm thrower who would be a best fit in a West Coast system to maximize his ability to throw accurately in the short to intermediate part of the field. Mike, Darnold or Wilson? All right, I'm going to say Darnold. Yeah, you got it. We are two for two. You guys are too good at this. Good job, Mike. All right, right, what's your point? All right, now, the last guy you just had on, I I totally agree with him. You know, I'm... Like I said, I'm a 50-year Jet fan. I saw Donald for three years. I know he had bad coaching, but I don't. I just don't think you know he's got what you call it. And I watched. I've been watching a lot of Zach Wilson. I saw his pro day online and watched the whole thing. Mm-hmm. I think this guy has got it, and you know, I think that's that's the way they got to go. And and 
I would take that running back from Ohio State. Me too. I, I love him. Trey Sermon. He's the Sermon, dude. Yeah. He's the guy. I know. I, I think would. he'll be a, a round two pick. I think he'll make it through that far because he's not high on many people's boards. You know. Yeah, I know. Well, they have the you know they have the twenty third pick, and then they have the second pick in the second round. But I would definitely try to get him. Yep. And yeah, I would take an offensive lineman for sure. Yep. Yeah. You know? I, yeah. We're we're in agreement on, on most of that. There. Uh, my question to you, Mike, would be, and, and to all Jets fans, is when Zach Wilson becomes a New York Jet, wearing the number one, um, you, you can't be expecting much out of him in year one, are you? Well, I don't know. You know, I mean, who knows? You know. He had 33 touchdowns and three interceptions. And I know, you know, you're saying he played against lesser competition. Mm -hmm. But that interview you just had, that was a great interview, by the way. Thank you. Um, And she pointed out something that I agree with, too. He didn't have the greatest weapons either, you know, to play with, you know. And he had that kind of, I mean, 33 touchdowns and three interceptions. That's nothing to sneeze at, you know. I mean, that's pretty impressive. And, you know, I watched some tape on him and, this guy has got a great arm. You know, he's got a little bit of cockiness, which I like. And I think, you know, I, I don't know what to expect of him the first year. I really don't. Who knows? Nobody knows, you know. But, you know, I'm you know, i I'm pretty excited as a Jet fan. They have a lot of picks, and, you know, they're going to get this guy. So we'll see what happens. You know, it's a new era. And I really like the coach. i got to say that, too. I really like the coach. Yeah, and, and Mike, I think uh, two two things there. Yes, I, the Connie made the excellent point, and I hadn't really considered it. Was yeah, he's not playing against the best competition, but he doesn't have the best complementary staff around him. You know, he doesn't have a Trey Sermon in his backfield, right? So yeah, so he had to do a little more with a little less on his own offensive side of the ball. So that was a good point. See, here I am just trying to convince myself a little bit, you know. And and if Robert Salah, listen, I'm like. I would say I put I would put it around like eighty percent confident in, in Robert Sala. Um, I you know the players that have played for him are coming or going out of their way or have gone out of their way to compliment him and and et cetera et cetera. Right, so that is a good mark in my book. He seems like a rah rah guy. Uh, although I liked Rex Ryan, so I'm assuming he might be a little bit along the lines of Rex Ryan, defensive minded, rah rah dude. Um, so I'm just not totally sold on him because he hasn't been a head coach in the league just yet. So I'd put my confidence meter um, at, at like 80% with him. Again, this is going to be Mike LaFleur's offense. I, re- I oh, What I also like about him, too, is that he's going to oversee all of it. He's not going to be the offensive or defensive coordinator. That's what I like about him. I, I like the executive sort of head coach. I said it when they hired him. Um, think of like Bill Belichick, you know, things like that. The one thing I did not like about Adam Guru was that he was calling plays. Like, you can't – then be an offensive – then go be an offensive coordinator, right? Like, like Todd Bowles, he, wasn't he calling defensive plays? Guess what? He went and became a defensive coordinator again and won a Super Bowl. There's just some guys that are not cut out to be head coaches. I hope Robert Sala is, and we will find out uh, coming up in this 2021 season. Um, but Mike LaFleur, I think, has been given the keys to this offense, and – you know, as Connie said, it's going to be fast-paced, up-tempo, a lot of trickery, RPOs, you know. That's good. And and also, too, they're going to need a fullback, she said, because think about it. Think of the 49ers offense. Use check. Everybody knows that guy's name, right? So that'll be a late-round guy, I assume. All right, we, I think you guys, if you still want to play Jets Trivia, we'll do it right after this update at the 4 o'clock hour. Danielle McCartney, Sports Radio, 101.9 FM, the 
McCartan, we should say in the morning now. It is 4 o'clock, obviously, in the morning here in New York City. Um, we've been having a lot of fun tonight. Uh, phones have been busy. I, I, we're trying this new thing. I, I think you guys are liking it. We're doing Jets trivia, and we're going to get back to that in a second. Since we've been talking a lot of football tonight, which is kind of weird, um, the Yankees are also on the table. The Mets are also on the table. Uh, you know, really anything you guys want to talk about. The Nets are on the TV in the studio right now, and they got absolutely demolished by the Lakers, who are playing without Anthony Davis and without LeBron James. To be fair, the Nets were also without James Harden. And Kyrie Irving got ejected not long right after halftime. So, um, yeah, we could also talk about that, too. But I just got back from from Cincinnati, and since we're talking about football, we're about to get into this Jets trivia. I, I promise I'll get to you guys. I walked or decided to walk to Paul Brown Stadium, which, by the way, looked a lot closer than what it actually was. Um... The place was uh, deserted, and I found my way into the team store. So I tweeted this. You might have seen it. Two, the two workers, they greeted me. They told me that the Bengals are changing their uniforms, so all the jerseys in the store were 50% off. I was like, ooh, I like jerseys. So I looked to my right. The first one that my eyes landed on was a number seven Boomer Esiason jersey. I said, even this one? And the guy said, nah, just the current players. So I walked over to it, $100. I was going to do it. And then they only had two sizes to pick from, XL or 2XL. So I said, hey, you guys have any smaller sizes in this jersey? And they were like, no, whatever's out there is out there. There's nothing more in the back. You have to come back in the new fiscal year when we could put the new order in. I was like, mm, all right. But the team store just happens to be right on the concourse looking out onto the stadium. So there are windows. You know, I'm looking at the stadium, the goalposts. I said, can you take me out there really quick? I just, you know, I won't probably be back, you know, from New York. Can I just take a picture of the field? And he was like, oh, you know what? Let me, uh, this is pretty cool. He goes, let, actually, let me look. Um, the other day, Joe Burrow was out here throwing. And if there's players out there, I can't take you. But if there's no players, of course I could take you. And there were no players, yes. So I got a good look at the field. He took a picture of me and everything. Um, and I do like the open ones, you know. It wasn't totally enclosed like MetLife Stadium was. There was like an, oh, a slit or an opening in the seats where you can get an awesome view of the big thing there, the, the Roebling Bridge, which, by the way, I didn't know this. My Uber driver did tell me this. By the way, he said he listens to the fan. He did. He said he was a truck driver, and he knew the fan. I was like, what? That's cool. We've uh, had some calls from Ohio before, I think. Yeah. That's cool. I didn't, you know, I didn't know. Fans everywhere. Right? Fan fans everywhere. But he did say that the Roebling Bridge, he said, don't quote me on this. I did look it up. The Roebling Bridge in Cincinnati was designed by the same designer as the Brooklyn Bridge. So there is your little stat for now. Okay, let's go to our next contestant on Jets Trivia. Uh, again, if you're just tuning in, what you are, what the callers are about to do is tell me, I'm going to give them a statement from a scout, and they're going to tell me if the scout was talking about Zach Wilson in the year 2021 or Sam Darnold in the year 2028. All right, Dave in West Babylon, you're next on this trivia. Would you like a easy... Medium or hard question? Uh, just just pick one. I, I just want to make sure Connie knows I'm a Giants fan. <laughs> if she's still listening. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Um, all right, then let me give you this one. You'd probably like this one. This is a hard one. I consider this one a hard one. All right. Is this about Wilson or Darnold? This, this is a quote. This is maybe the biggest boom or bust quarterback prospect in this draft class. Oh, um. Wilson or Darnold? 
I got to say Wilson. Nah. Yeah, you got it. You guys are three for three. I am impressed. Yeah, so this this <laughs> this was a scout or a draft analyst, Matt Miller. He said this is maybe the biggest boomer bust quarterback in the class. Of course, Zach Wilson. All right, Dave, what's your point for, for now? All right, uh, first off, uh, Connie was fantastic. As I told you before, I did a little bit of research on her. She bleeds the green and white, mm-hmm. um, sure. and she's, she's, fan- she's fantastic. And pretty much every single question that I had, she answered. Um, awesome. But I do have a couple. I do have a couple of points. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I understand. I understand what happened with Sam. Okay, I get it. It was basically a salary reset. Mm-hmm. Number one and number two. Uh, this this draft class was considered very quarterback heavy, and they just had the opportunity to to do it. I get that. But one point that she made is that. Every first, every first rounder, except for Makai, of course, um, they've either cut or they have traded. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, and, and she also, uh, I kind of read between the lines, she was attributing that to uh, coaching, a, a lot of it, I believe. So my thing is, I hope, uh, for the Jets' sake, that they can stop the bleeding and, and get their, their coaching in order um, to take care of this because you can't keep it, – it's not even just about Sam. I mean, they did the same thing with Leo Williams. I know it's a little you know different, but you can't keep picking high draft picks like that and then a couple of years later trade them for you know third and fourth rounders. Right. Uh, to me, that, that that's just not a recipe for, for uh, success. However, I, I I will say that you know she she laid it out very well. The other question that I really had in terms of the the um, Darnold thing, what and I can I get it. I, I really do as a, as a union rep. I can I can see this. Uh, why did you only get a second, a fourth, and a sixth? And for her to mention how weird this season was and how everything fell out, I'm like, okay, that makes. That actually makes a ton, a ton of sense. Mm-hmm. Now, what I will say is that Carolina should give Joe Douglas a hug because <laughs> <laughs> he, he potentially set him. He, he potentially did set him up pretty, pretty well. Yes. Um, so I mean, it, it all depends on it all depends on Sam. And I love the fact that Connie has. Uh, a tremendous amount of faith in her players, even when they move to another team. I love the fact that she, you know, stays in contact with Mark Gastineau and you know, Joe Klecko and all those guys. Yes. I love that. Um, so, you know, um, I know she's she's not a Giants fan by any stretch of the imagination, but I love her passion. One one more question I have for you, and this was a question I was going to have for uh, for Connie as well. Okay. I'm hearing, I hear this a lot, and you know, with, with a couple of the other fan hosts, um, this whole idea of you can't take a tight end at, at three, that's just crazy. You can't take a running back at two. Again, I've, I've, I've had that, I've had the um, conversation with you before that, look, it all depends on the level of talent. With, if everybody's talent is the same, Personally, I would probably take, besides the quarterback, of course, mm-hmm. I would probably take a defensive tackle or, or an offensive tackle, you know, to begin with. Alignment, a defensive lineman or, or an offensive lineman before anything else, unless you are in desperate need of whatever, corner or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But is there, is there any position 
that you would say, and take quarterbacks off the board for a second, is there any position that you would say, I'm not taking that, you know, in the first five picks? I mean, I'm obviously I'm not talking about punter or kicker. Yeah. But, um, oh, Dave. Yeah. Dave, yeah. thanks for the call there, Dave. Uh, the thing is, it's so conditional on what your team needs. Like, if you're, the, I don't know, if you're, I don't know, I was just picking a team. If you're the Buccaneers, I mean, well, you wouldn't be picking that high to begin with. Um, let me think about this. I would think, I know tight end is one of them, but if you have a young quarterback, a tight end at that, you know, that high up would be great. Great little safety net. Uh, like the Jets, they've had a left tackle in Mekhi Becton. Are you going to go out and get a left, you know, that high on a, another left tackle and convert them to like right tackle with a right-handed quarterback? I don't think you're doing that either. So I really think it's just, just really conditional. I know it's not the best answer, you know, but it's just, you know, level of talent at each position, you know, or would you take your number three wide receiver on your board over your number two running back on your board? Yeah, I don't know. You got to see what's available and, and base it on your, your, uh, you know, your situation. Each, each question is unique. I'm not sure exactly how to answer that, but I hope I did okay. All right, our next contestant, and we won't keep this going for too, too much longer, but Eddie, you're going to be our next contestant. Eddie, in Rockland, would you like an easy, medium, or hard question? I'll take a medium, Danny, please. Medium it is. Okay, good, because I have the most of those to the left. Um, how, about, how about this one? Eddie, this is a quote from a draft scout. He is an accurate pocket passer who throws with good ball placement and is very precise in the short to intermediate part of the field. He has excellent anticipation to know when and where receivers are going to be open. Wilson or Darnold? Eddie, are you there? Uh oh, did we lose him? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that one was uh, that was about Darnold actually in 2018. Eddie, are you still there? Yeah, I said Darnold. Oh, we didn't hear you. Uh, Nick, you got to duck the music a little bit. Darnold, you were right. Yes, Darnold. Hey. <laughs> All right. All right. Can I get on the jet? on the Jets real quick? Go as ahead. far as the the Darnold trade, yeah. Uh, I you know I like Darnold. I think he's better than Wilson and uh, Jones but I don't think he's better than Fields. I hope the Jets get Fields. As far as the trade, I like this second. I wish they would have swapped their low third for Carolina's high third and forget about the fourth and sixth yeah. and play, get, maybe get a player from the, from the offense to help out this year because they really got nothing to help out this year. But this is what I want for the draft for the Jets. I want Fields. I want the no. Clemson run back. I want the offensive, uh, an offensive guard. And then I want the Penn State tight end. You like Fields One, over Wilson? I don't. Did you watch him in the in the in the championship game? Listen, I, Danny, I I respect you. You're the my favorite on this station. Well, I've been a listener since day one. Well, thank I you. wish they give a lot more time. You're the best that they got right now. Thank you. But I was a uh, a Josh Allen guy. Yeah. I was uh, a Justin Herbert guy. And now I'm a Justin Fields guy. I don't see Wilson. He doesn't have the body frame of a man. He might have a good arm, but I don't think when the heat comes, I don't think he's he's going to have to get out of the kitchen. <sighs> Eddie, I just don't. And I appreciate your opinion and all that, Eddie. I just don't. I mean, you're a listener. You know, when I was watching those games, I was waiting. I was hoping Justin Fields was going to be it. You know, it. Show me something. 
but it's like getting down into the red zone. In the, it, see, you could play against, you know, D-level competition and do really well. I really wanted to see those bowl games. I really wanted to see how he did in those bowl games. And it was like, get down to the red zone, throw an interception. Is he hurt? Is he not hurt? What's going on here? There were a lot of question marks that I had uh, for Justin Fields coming out of those games. And he, he didn't impress me. And I told you guys when it happened, he did not impress me. I also was high on Josh Allen. I think I had him high, rated highest out of my quarterbacks in that draft. I think people called me crazy, actually. But I did. And look what happened. Um, and, and that's also a product of the system and, and the talent around him as well. So uh, I think it's it's going to be Zach Wilson. I'm trying to convince myself that, you know, he's going to be fine. In Joe Douglas, everybody trusts, right? Okay, maybe two more contestants on this here. Let's go next. Tony, see, the point I'm trying to make is that, well, I'll tell you in a second. Tony in Providence, you're up. Do you want an easy, a medium, or a hard question? An easy one, I guess. Easy one, okay. How about... All right, his, this is a Matt Miller draft analyst. Stats need background, and for him, the tape shows an accurate, poised, smart quarterback who is hitting his rhythm well with a young offense around him. Is Wilson. That, oh, nope. You were the first one, Tony. That was actually about Sam Darnold. But, okay, good guess. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right, tell me. What do you want to talk about Sam Darnold? Yeah, I agree with you. Um, this is a surprise move, but... Um, definitely, um, I can make this point. The bottom line is there will be pressure because getting signed a seasoned quarterback like Matthew or Jared or Wentz. So to me, the pressure is going to be on this kid. So Wilson will be the one that say the pressure is going to be on Daniel. I mean, because there is no um, seasoned veteran, you know, like someone like that, you know. So yeah. the pressure is going to be on right away. High expectations from the media and the fans. And New York. So. And here we go. Like the Jets, are, are, they've been searching for this quarterback for years. Is it going to be him? We don't know. No one knows. But I think it will be pressure and be signed Wilson because he's the one and you said expectations is going to take some time. But, um, and I agree, you should sign the running back, um, obviously, because he needs weapons, obviously, if it's Wilson or Fields. But I agree, Wilson's a better one. But, again, the pressure is going to be on enormous because he made this deal now. Uh, Joe made the deal, but the pressure is going to be on with a new guy. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. he's going to be the main guy, right? Yes. I mean, right away. That's it. Mm-hmm. Yep. He's, he, that's sink or swim with Zach Wilson. Yes, I agree with you. Tony, he's going to have a ton of pressure on him. Coming right out of college into the big city. I remember I asked Phil Sims one time. Maybe he's listening. I don't know. Hi, Phil, if you are. But, um, you know, about coming out of Moorhead State getting to the city, and I don't want to put words in his mouth, but he basically said, like, listen, I arrived in New York City. I, I don't know. I think he said he's never been on a plane before. He gets to New York City, and he's the quarterback of the New York Giants. Um, I don't know if Zach Wilson has ever been on a plane or not. I assume he has. Um, but it's a lot. It's a, you know, it's really hard right off the bat to play for a team in a huge city coming from a small-ish school for a team that has – been looking for a quarterback ever since Joe Namath left the team. Let's just be honest with you. So, yes, I agree with you. There's tons of pressure. Okay, and the final contestant in our Darnold or um, or Wilson trivia is Ben in Queens. Ben, you're a great sport. Would you like an easy, medium, or hard question? Well, I, I've been listening. I've gotten three of them right Okay. Thing, so let's just... Give me anything. Let's roll. All right. Let me pick my favorite one. Um, let me see. Okay. This one here. 
Among the most dynamic in terms of what he can do when the play breaks down, his ability to create, his field vision, those are all really, really impressive traits. Is that about Zach Wilson or Sam Darnold? Hmm. Pocket breaks down. Da, da, da. I believe that's going to be Darnold. That is, in fact, Zach, wow. Zach Wilson. <laughs> All I saw with Zach Wilson was in the pocket. So mm-hmm. I knew it. I knew it. After getting all those right off the <laughs> I'd get that one wrong. Uh, quickly, because I know we're up against it. Okay. One, I appreciate the U.S. women's squad going over and playing in Europe. I, I, I appreciate that today, especially in Sweden. Versus that team. Well, they needed who, it. That's good competition for the Olympics. Well, 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 not just that. Remember who Sweden's coach is. So, so, so that coaching staff's got American roots. Mm-hmm. So, so that that's a. And for folks that don't know, it's uh, the the coaching staff there was, I believe, she retired last year. But it was the the lady that coached us to our second World Cup. All right. Um, secondly, congrats to Mr. Um, Musgrove in San Diego on his no hitter. Um. The thing that was disappointing today with the Yanks is this is the team you're going to be battling all year. Exactly. And you mustered nothing. Exactly. That's, that's what hurts. Yep. I don't mind losing. I just don't like going out like a punk. Mm-hmm. And people, and, you know, Ben, people are saying, oh, it's a short season. It's just, don't worry about it. It's, it's, you know, it's just eight games in or whatever. That point that you just made is what concerns me most. It's it's the effort thing. It's just the the come on, come on. Uh, who who on the on the their bench did you see go? Come on, let's go. Not one. <laughs> hey, we are sitting down there. I saw laughs in the seventh inning. That that did not feel good. Mm-hmm. And finally, I will leave on this note. And you know what? Thank you, Sam Darnold. You may not have been able to accomplish what you could accomplish here, but as Coach just said. You're ending up with the coach I wanted for you. You're ending up with your best target that you've ever had. And you might be with the most dynamic player in football, not named Patrick Mahomes. Who's that, McCaffrey? Yes. Yeah. So, So all things considered, good luck to you. Next season will will be if if he has a great season. This, this, these overnight calls will be interesting, Coach. <laughs> Next week, thank you for the time. Enjoy. Of course, Ben. I appreciate the the rundown always, especially the women's soccer team. You see that today? What a great international friendly that was to pick up because Sweden is always a tough team, and of course, the U.S. Women's National Team is looking to take the gold in the Olympics again this year. Well, I shouldn't say again. You know, they're always in the running. They're always the best team. You know, it's funny. I won't even get into it. But let me just tell you the point, by the way, we're just wrapping up this trivia thing. The point I'm trying to make with this is this. One, draft analysts aren't all they're cracked up to be. That's that's number one, right? And number two, what they were saying about Sam Darnold in 2018 and what they're saying about Zach Wilson in 2021, if he didn't catch the drift, they're oddly, oddly similar. And it just begs the question of what Sam Darnold would have been able to accomplish had he had, you know, the right scaffolds around him from the coaching staff to to the players around him. So best of luck to Sam Darnold in Carolina. Thank you to everybody that played in the trivia. 
Um, we've got Jeff Nelson coming up at 440 and more of your calls up until then, 877-337-6666. This is John Sterling. Join me along with Susan Waldman for the Bombers and Tampa Bay Rays at 110 with Yankees pregame at 1230. And as always, I'll be joined by my compañera Susan Waldman here on your flagship station for Yankees talk, tickets in every game. The Fan. Sports Radio 1019 FM and streaming on all of your devices at WFAN.com. That's it. I hope for a living. I hope on this show. Welcome back to McCartney in the morning here on The Fan in New York City, everybody. High hopes. We're rolling, rolling right along here tonight. It's been an exciting show, I think. I hope. I hope you guys are having fun listening, tuning on to whatever device you have me streaming on, or, or maybe it's your actual terrestrial radio. How about that? You know, I always get this question, what shirt are you wearing tonight? Well, I always like to throw it to a vote for you guys. So I don't know why you guys care so much, but it was close to 200 votes this week. Um, The choices were a gray away Jacob deGrom number 48 t-shirt. The other choice on the Twitter poll, at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. If you want to go you know, tweet me during the show, I answer on Twitter, I answer on the phones, I answer everywhere, you guys. But the other choice was a navy blue DJ LeMahieu t-shirt. I even tried to rally the Yankee fans, but to no avail. So tonight I am wearing the gray DeGrom number 48 shirt. It got delivered yesterday, actually, from Fanatics. There was a sale. And um, maybe, maybe, just maybe, Mets fans are just, maybe they're just a more passionate bunch. I don't know. Yankee fans, where you at? Let's go back to the phones. 877-337-6666. Eric in Ronkonkoma. You're up. Hey Danielle, good morning. How was Cincinnati? Oh, it was um, it was good. It just the city itself is was quite boring, but the game was good. <laughs> <laughs> I got myself into Paul Brown Stadium, which was pretty good. So I, I heard know. you say that. Yeah, it was all right. Okay, but the, the the park is nice there, though. Yeah, very underrated. I don't know why anybody ever doesn't talk about that park. It was it was really right. I liked it. Yeah, they they're actually playing well from what I heard yesterday, right? The, the yeah, they uh, they're up to a good start. Yeah, they they won the two games that I went to, and in the one game it was like a football score, it was like fourteen to one, I think, or fourteen to two. I don't know. It was fun. Yeah, who who were they? Who were they playing when the the Pirates when I was there? Okay, okay. So look, okay. I mean, I, I I've said this over and over again. I I don't know how he does it, quite honestly. And by he, I mean David Degrom. I mean, how do you go through again what he what he did yesterday mm-hmm. and not Want to beat everybody over the head with the water cooler when the game is over? Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, look, I and and you know, I, I'm listening to the, the post game press conference, and you know, I, I hear him say, you know, it's a team effort. You know, they're giving me a hundred percent, and and I'm saying to myself, I'm like, there's no way he could be believing that. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying the guys aren't trying, right? Okay, but <clears throat> I mean, really, is there? Is there like a, a hidden sign in everybody's locker saying Jake's pitching today? Don't you know, don't hit the ball. You know, I mean, I I, I can't understand. I, I've never seen such a a waste of talent by an organization in my life. Oh my god! You know, yeah, I know. I'm. I mean, seriously. I mean, yeah. I feel like at some point I'm going to be talking to my grandkids, God willing, and I'm going to say, you know, I saw the best pitcher in, in Mets history that never won anything. Well, they're going to look at me like, what do you mean? You know, and, and I mean, look, no one knows what the future holds, but I mean, from the last number of years up till now, I mean, the guy's got 
I mean, when when they say six games, they met the six games under 500 and the games that he's pitched, it, it's just, it blows your mind. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I, don't, I can't even wrap my head around it anymore, Danielle. I mean, I don't know what to, what well, to say about it. I know, Eric. The one thing is, his Hall of Fame speech, though, it, it's certainly going to be short because he, he doesn't have many people to thank. <laughs> well, they, <laughs> that's, that much is true. But let me ask you this question. That's a good one. Uh, you know, I, I had heard that uh, there, there was talk that uh, Steve Cohen, I guess, had approached them about me, you know, maybe ripping up the contract and, and writing out a new one, whatever. Didn't get too you know, far. Which I, what's up? Didn't get too far, but yes. Okay. I mean, but if, if you're him, do you really want to even think about that? I mean, just, just get, again, given the track record, you know, the history, I, I mean, I... I would almost, as much as I you know, would love to play in New York, I mean, I, I would almost be very tempted to go somewhere else just to be like, oh, I wonder what it's like to score runs. I, I just, I mean, yeah. he did some of the hitting yesterday himself also. Yeah, guess what? He's so. three for five. He, he's batting 600, Jacob deGrom. So, I mean, I don't know, Daniel. I just, it's, it's enormously frustrating. I, I can't even imagine what's, going on in his head despite what he's saying mm-hmm. on there. I mean, I, you know, I don't know. But that's, that, like I said, I, I, I got to throw it out there because it just, it, you know, I, I have no answers. I mean, I, I've been on this guy's bandwagon right from the beginning. I saw, right, you know, 2014, 2015, when, when he was first coming up, I'm saying, I'm like, you know what? I mean, he had the long hair, but, you know, this guy's quiet, but he's, you know, you can see something about him. You know, he wasn't Cindy Gnard, he wasn't uh, Harvey, but I'm like, well, I'm like, keep an eye on this guy, and I was right on it from the beginning, and deservedly so, with the way he's been he's been pitching, and they can't do a darn thing for him. And I'm gonna, and I'm gonna end my call now because I think I'm gonna lose my ability to keep it clean. So, <laughs> Eric, thanks right. for your call. We'll talk so, ne- talk next Daniel, week. Daniel, have a great day. Always a good one. Um, you know, the contract. That's one thing. That, that I talked about in the open, if I'm Jacob deGrom and I'm laying my head on my pillow before I go to sleep on Saturday night, I'm thinking, well, the song I played for you was Carrie Underwood spending all my time wasted, right? So um, is he wasting all the time here in New York? Is he wasting away on on the Mets because they can't seem to win for him? If I were him, I don't know if I would be signing a long-term contract. I would like to win a World Series. I think it would be contingent upon whether or not the Mets make the postseason this season. We'll have to wait and see. But if it's right now and I'm Jacob deGrom, I'd be like, I'm out of here. Sorry, but I'm out of here. And then I, I, I too, as a player, as a coach, I'm trying to figure out. I was all day trying to figure out the psychology behind, you know, the sports psychology behind this this whole thing about being getting no hits, getting no run support. Of course, he's always going to be matched up against the best pitcher on the other team. That's one thing, right? Um, the number one starter on the other team. I just can't figure. Maybe there's an intimidation factor. Maybe there's a, a press. Like, do we have to win for him? I have to get a hit. And when I don't, I'm all pissed off that I didn't get a hit. And then that, you take that back to the dugout, and that obviously emanates or ruminates. I don't know the right word, but from you to the rest of your teammates, that's the only thing I could come up with. I know that's not an answer, and I, I have a psychology degree, but not a sports psychology degree. I just have played sports. That's 
and I've coached them. That's that's what I can come up with. And I'm going to continue to think about it. And I think if I do salute, have a solution to this, I think I'm going to uh, put my name in for Mets manager. That's what I think. Just kidding. All right, we've got Jeff Nelson coming your way next. Some Yankee talk, some nerdy pitching talk. I'm so excited for it. And um, we'll see you guys on the other side of that interview. And you guys can tweet me at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N as well. Jeff Nelson coming up next on The Fan. Daniel McCartan, Sports Radio Joined by Jeff Nelson, four-time World Series champion, New York Yankee, here on the fan. Jeff, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Good to be with you. Hey, we're a little over a week into the 2021 season, and uh, I have a part A and a part B. Part A is which player has surprised you on this Yankees team in a good way? You know, I think Tyone, and even though Kluber, I didn't think through that great, but he's still staying healthy. I think those two guys, I don't know about surprised, but I liked how they're staying healthy and how they stayed healthy through spring because, you know, the rotation is what's going to lead them to a, a ring and you know their 20 what eighth ring those two guys are key members in this rotation if they lose either one or both at any time in the year they're going to be hard to replace so having these two guys healthy is what i want to see and and so far i've been pleasantly surprised now which player has surprised you part b in a not so good way well again aaron judge you know it's uh as dominant of a player that he can be and that he's shown before he was out the other day against the orioles that's a little alarming going through spring training as big as he is you know everybody says oh you know big players they have a hard time staying healthy well that's i I don't think that's true i mean you look at dave winfield he was a big player six six probably 260 but him having some injury problems with his side that's a little alarming for me for me anyway my vote would be glaber torres last season torres tied for second in errors as you know among all shortstop and that's i look exactly where he sits right now so if you were his teammate, Jeff Nelson, what would you tell him? Well, you know, shortstop's a tough position, and I don't think he's a shortstop, and I think you're absolutely right. You know, he may lead the league in errors this year. He could get 20-plus, and, and that's that's tough for a pitcher. I mean, he does cover a lot of ground, but at the same time, I think he rushes a lot. I think he puts a lot of pressure on himself. It's such a demanding position. I would have liked to see the Yankees – try to do something in the winter as far as go and sign a shortstop I would have loved to see Didi Gregorius come back and then move Torres back to second and then have LeMahieu play first base I would have liked to see that addressed maybe that comes to fruition at some point during the season maybe the Yankees say okay at the trade deadline we have to go get a shortstop so we can move Torres to second he's just not a shortstop to me you try to tell him to relax and obviously this guy takes extra work all the time I mean he is a worker he's a very proud guy as far as the way he plays defense, the way he goes about his offense. He's just not a shortstop. And that is a demanding position that puts a lot of pressure on himself that I don't know if he can handle right now. Didi, I agree with you, and my listeners know that. And, you know, it's shortstop, I'm a former shortstop, current, actually, to my <laughs> league. It's, it's just instinctual, you know? And I don't, when I watch him, it's just not instinctual when I watch him. Yeah, you know, I mean, if you look at great shortstops, I mean, one of the best that I've ever seen was Omar Vizquel. I played with him and then played against him. Uh, You had Derek Jeter, I thought was probably one of the smartest baseball players I've ever played with. Uh, He was always compared with Garcia Parra, Alex Rodriguez, Miguel Tejada. 
I mean, there's some of the great power hitting shortstops. I mean, Cal Ripken Jr. Cal Ripken Jr. really didn't have great range, but at the same time, he was so smart and knew how to read hitters, knew how to read where the pitches, pitches were going, that he just set himself in the right position. And Derek Jeter did the same thing. They may not have been great shortstops as far as flashy, like an Omar Vizquel, but at the same time, they made the easy plays. And, and the hard plays they made look even better. Gleyber Torres is just not a guy that has a lot of range. He's better suited probably for second base that don't need a lot of range to play that position. It's not a demanding position. Usually the shortstop is one of those captain type guys that you're in the middle of the field. You're always trying to run the infield. You're saying you're telling the second baseman or the third baseman where to play. You're, you're the key cutoff guy in the outfield. And Gleyber Torres, it's a, it's a new position for him that that has become a tougher position and sometimes you take the defense into the offense and that's one thing you do not want to see with Glaber. The other night speaking of the easy plays he short hops a throw to first allows the go-ahead run on top of the 10th knowing that it should have been an out what is the feeling on a mound for a pitcher watching that take place? Well, you know, it's tough. And then also you have a first baseman in Jay Bruce that he hasn't had a whole lot of time over there as well. Yes, he can play that position. Maybe a first baseman that's played there a number of times might have had that ball, but it's awful. It was a tough throw. I mean, it's a tough throw to pick. Uh, you know, you're holding your breath. Anytime the ball gets hit on the ground, when I was pitching, anytime the ball got hit in the ground, you're hoping they would make the play. And, and once they threw it over, you know, okay, we had Tino Martinez and he was such a great first baseman that he picked everything. But it's disappointing, especially with the stupid extra inning rule with the guy on second. I hate it. So that's really tough when, especially with a pitcher, you know, it's not an earned run, but at the same time, you got a man on second with nobody out and anything that happened and anything that gets hit on the ground or in the air, you're hoping that it's going to get caught or at least made an out. And when it doesn't, it makes your job tougher. You mentioned the trade deadline. At what point do you end the Torres as a shortstop experiment? Is it the trade deadline? Well, you know, maybe before. I mean, we've seen the Yankees in the past make trades in June. I mean, that's always a possibility. You look at the Colorado Rockies and Trevor Story's out there as a shortstop, and he's a free agent at the end of the year. So rumors already were flying in spring training that maybe the Yankees could have made that move. They didn't, but that's always a possibility. And the Colorado Rockies know that he is a free agent, and they're, they're going to get a lot of calls. Colorado's not going anywhere, and they're not going to make the playoffs this year. So, you know, you could probably see something before the trade deadline at the end of July if, if he doesn't start turning things around. Right now, I don't know if he can. He's just not a great shortstop. It's just not his position. He's a great player. He's just not a great shortstop. So a catcher like Gary Sanchez, who struggles defensively, how does it or, or does it help his game knowing that his pitchers have gone out of their way to publicly compliment him? Well, that's what he needs because he's a huge mental guy. I mean, you, you hear all kinds of interviews and some of his teammates talking that he really takes to heart what he does behind the plate and even at, at the plate when he's hitting. It, it's not a red flag, but it's like you would like to see guys not be so mental, not take the game so, uh, so I, not serious, but take their mistakes and, and just let it sit in their head for a while. Baseball, even sports, you have to have a short memory. You can't keep dwelling on past performances, past mistakes. You have the next day, the sun always comes up. You have to keep going out there and, and forget about what you did. But he's a guy that doesn't do that. He really overanalyzes his mistakes behind the plate or the way he goes about facing a pitcher when he is hitting. Um, so that's tough to get over. When you have a mental guy like a Gary Sanchez, as much positive feedback that you can get, it helps him. And when you have a, a Cole or a Tyone or, or a Kluber, the veteran type pitchers going, coming out in public and saying and praising him, that helps his, his uh, psyche and helps his mind. 
We're talking with Jeff Nelson, four-time World Series champion, New York Yankee here on The Fan. Is this team built to win? Oh, well, it is. I think if they stay healthy, they're still the best team in the American League. You talk about Gleyber Torres as far as addressing the shortstop. I think they really need to address the left-handed hitting power. If you look at past Yankee teams, what have they had when they won the World Series? They've had great left-handed power. Whether it's at old Yankee Stadium or new Yankee Stadium, left-handed power wins. When you're a right-handed dominant hitting team like they are, there's so many right-handed pitchers in the American League and even in the National League that it becomes a little bit easier to face these guys. I don't care if you have a Stanton, if you have a Judge, Torres, if you have a right-handed hitting lineup, Sanchez, that can hit the ball out of the ballpark. They're still easier to pitch to than a lefty. You look at Hicks, he's in the middle of the lineup. He's not a three-hole hitter. He shouldn't be hitting there. But you know what? He's there, you know Aaron Boone's trying to mix something up to mix in. Uh, he's a switch hitter, but mixing a lefty in between a lot of these righties. You had Gardner hitting a third at one point. They're going to have to address that as well. Try to find a left-handed hitting power guy. Maybe it's Odor. Uh, you know, he had had some success with Texas. Even though it is Texas and the ball flies there, maybe a change of scenery is good for him. But in order for them to win and go further in the playoffs, I think they need to address the, address the lineup and especially the left side. So let's really get into the minutia of pitching, which I love. New pitches. The Mets have Joey Lucchese, who developed a new pitch. He's calling it the Churve. You've got Aroldis Chapman, who incorporated the split change. Right. What goes into creating a new pitch? Well, I mean, you do that in spring training. Uh, you know, you don't really don't mess with it in, during the season because you never want to get beat by a pitch that you just started out throwing. Mm -hmm. uh, you have to have confidence in throwing in the spring training and saying, okay, if I get hit, I got to keep throwing it until I master it. It's just something that, especially for a starter, I, I think you always try, okay, if you have three pitches, I really want to try to add a fourth. If you're a reliever like Chapman, I mean, he has a fastball slider and everybody knows that. Yes, his fastball is 100 miles an hour and he has a decent slider, but he just wanted to have another pitch that, that you can put something in the back of a hitter's mind. And that just makes you even more dominant when you can control that. And you did have a lot of success in spring training with it. You see pitchers add cutters, say, okay, I, you know, my fastball velocity is starting to go down a little bit. So now I need to, you know, maybe mix something up and I'll add a cutter. David Cohn was one of those guys that always amazed me because he invented stuff on the mound all the time. He's like, okay, I can't, I'm, I'm throwing the same pitch or I'm throwing my whole repertoire, even the kitchen sink, and this guy's still fouling it off. I got to try to mix something up. I got to try to invent something. And he was a guy that always came up with something different. And he did it during the season. He did it in game situation. Most guys do it in spring training because they just feel like, okay, maybe these two pitches that I have are good, but if I add that third, I'll be even a, a, maybe a more dominant reliever, uh, a starter the same way. So a pitching coach will go over it, or maybe a, a pitcher will say, hey, you know what, I want to try, try to start throwing this. And they'll start asking guys on the team, say, okay, if, if somebody has a nasty pitch, hey, how do you throw that? Show me how you throw that, and I'll start working on that on the side. Now, were you ever the guy that gave the advice or, or sought advice in something, a situation like that? Yeah, you know, I do two pitches, but I always would like to try to throw a third. I mean, I threw a split, but it sucked. So, you, you know, it wasn't very good. And I would always throw it like that last warm up pitch just to see how it worked. And every once in a while, I'd throw it in a game. But, you know, it's usually a ball or if I, you know, just something that they were like, oh, you know, Jeff Nelson, the fastball slider guy, what's he got now? But I could never cr control it enough. You never could throw a change up because I always threw, a, you know, slowed my motion up. Some guys would come and ask me how I threw my slider or, or what, what I would do with it or how I would start it out. So probably more teaching than anything because I didn't know how to throw a third pitch. Now, how about these sticky baseballs? Trevor Bauer certainly likes to toe the boundary line. 
strikes out 10 Oakland A's and is now under scrutiny for doctoring the balls with a sticky substance. As a pitcher, former pitcher, do you like the MLB's crackdown on foreign substances? Well, if they're going to do that, they should do the same thing with the hitters because the hitters do a lot of different things with their bats that nobody knows. I mean, that's why you very rarely ever see a, you know, most of the bats are dark now because the hitters can get away with more. I mean, they can throw pine tar all the way up. They do different stuff to make the barrel a little harder. Then that way the ball carries a little bit more off of that bat. The baseballs that they have now are really, they're slick. You know, you need something. They don't rub them up enough. You need something to get a better grip on the baseball. You never used to have to do anything, but there's so many different ways besides pine tar to be able to get a good grip on the baseball. You know, is it cheating? I don't think it's cheating. I think it's uh, suntan lotion, rosin, everything's there. I mean, if they're going to ban everything, say, okay, you can't use any of this stuff. I just think there's a lot more things that MLB can do besides worrying about what guys are doing with the baseball. And now it just gives the umpire another thing that they have to look out for. So it just doesn't make any sense to me. I had Tanyan Sturzia on uh, two weeks ago, and he said the same thing, the suntan lotion and rosin. Yeah. What do you think then? What would be your, your suggestion then? Everybody that I knew did something to try to get a better grip on the baseball. But when I first started, they had a different, they had American League Baseball and a National League Baseball. And I don't know what it was, whether it was how the leather was made or how the ball was wound, whatever. You never had to use anything but just rosin, you know, sweat and rosin, and you got a good tacky substance. When they went to a universal baseball, all of a sudden the leather became a little bit more soapy and it became slicker. So you had to try to do something to get a better grip on the ball. And it wasn't just for your breaking ball, because I Obviously, every, all the hitters used to say, oh, I don't care what they use because I don't feel like getting hit. They don't understand that the spin rate's a lot better when you have like a pine tar or a sticky substance, that it makes the ball break a lot better. But for a lot of guys, it was just mainly getting a better grip on your fastball so it wouldn't slip out. So you were able to control it a little bit better. During the summer, everybody's using suntan lotion anyway to, you know, not get, to not get burned. Rosin's always there. So it's, you know, that's legal. Some guys use alcohol and rosin. I mean, that gives you a tacky substance. It's not like every pitch. It does wear off. Pine tar is about the only one that you can say, hey, that's, this is illegal. But guys can get away with it. They can put it on their strings or their glove and nobody knows. Even the catcher. I mean, you look at, uh, I don't know if you remember, I don't know how many years ago, Yadier Molina, the ball stuck to his chest protector. Well, I mean, he's got sticky stuff all over that. I mean, the catchers help you out a little bit as well. Now they just throw the baseball out every time it's thrown. I mean, it must be going through a million baseballs a game. It never used to be that way. But I don't know what you do. I mean, I, I just don't think it's something that guys should worry about. When that clubhouse guy out in Anaheim said, oh, I used to do different things, you know, with Garrett Cole or whatever, started spilling the beans about, oh, guys used to, do, you know, always use sticky substances. Well, that's, that's league-wide. And the hitters do the same thing. I just don't think it makes any sense to even worry about it. Guys aren't cutting the ball. If you're cutting the ball, it's a little bit different. If you're using pine tar, okay, that might be a little bit different. But some of the other stuff, I mean, you can get away with it. And it just doesn't make sense for people to worry about it. Jeff Nelson's hanging with us on the fan. Now, the final thing I wanted to kind of wrap up with was this two schools of thought. I mean, most starting pitchers now, anyway, in the month of April, they're being yanked 75, 80 pitches. As a modern day pitcher, are you okay with that in the month of April? Um, no, uh, because analytics have killed pitching, I think. You know, analytics has basically said, okay, most starters can't go past uh, the second time around the lineup. That third time around the lineup, they're like, okay, their batting average starts going up and hitters are making adjustments. Well, my feeling is pitchers should be able to make adjustments as well. You don't have pitchers going out wanting to go throw a complete game anymore. They're thinking, oh, okay, if I give you seven, then I'm good. But most times that seven becomes five. 100 pitch count. You know, guy, pitchers don't leave spring 
spring training anymore with 100 pitches. I mean, they used to be about 100 to 110 when they left spring training. So they were ready to go in the month of April. Yes, relievers are going to be used a little bit more because of the weather and most places aren't aren't hot places. It takes a little bit for a lot of these cities to get warmer and you can understand that. But the way they have the money, the analytics and the way the mentality of most pitchers are, they're not going past five or, you know, 85 pitches, 75 pitches. I mean, you've seen starters. I mean, they've had a full spring training. You've seen starters most of the time go about 75 to 80 pitches their first couple times. And that never used to happen. Hypothetically speaking, getting taken out before you think you're ready to come out. Maybe you want to go off that predetermined script. Is that a cause for friction between the pitcher and the manager or the decision maker in the dugout? Well, it could if you have a terrible bullpen. If you look at uh, Jacob DeGrom the first time he started, 77 pitches for probably the best pitcher in the game. I think I read when the bullpen blew his lead, that was like the 34th time that the bullpen blew his lead in his start. When you have a guy like that and he's cruising, he only went six innings, 77 pitches, at least try to get another inning out of him. I mean, this guy is probably capable of throwing 100 pitches right off the bat. And it isn't, oh, I'm protecting him early. He's made to go 30 to 30 three to 35 starts a year over 200 innings and you're trying to protect the guy I just think it's a detriment to some of these great pitchers you look at Scherzer I mean if you ever watch Max Scherzer on the mound he hates to be taken out he gave up four home runs in his opener and he still pitched six innings so it's like a lot a lot of times you know managers are taking guys out there are four solo shots but he kept his team in the game and he said okay I'll give you six innings it just doesn't make any sense when I think managers jump to the conclusion when they see, oh, third time around the lineup, they're not seeing how the guy is going about his business and how he's cruising through the game. Perfect example is the Rays last year in the World Series, game six, when he had Blake Snell cruising through the game. I mean, the feel of the game has all of a sudden disappeared. It's more like, okay, this is what the book says. This is what I have to do. It's like robotic and pitchers are robotic. Hitters are robotic and managers are the same way. They lose the feel of the game. I mean, it's nice to see that Tony La Russa is back. You know, he's an old school type manager. You have Joe Girardi, old school type manager. There's a few of them around Dusty Baker, the same way. The feel of the game with them is still there, even though the analytics are there. And I'm sure analytics help in some way. But in some way, the feel of the game still has to be there, and that's lost in a lot of ways. Yeah, I was going to say, Tony La Russa leaving Lance Lynn in, complete right. game, 111 pitch, complete game shutout. I mean, I like it that way, too. I just – I don't know. I don't know how to – and I guess qualitate or quantitate, you know, which is the better way. I don't, I don't know. Well, you're seeing more injuries now, and I don't know why. I don't know why you're seeing more injuries. I don't know. You know, I know the money is so great now, and and the mentality of players are. It used to be when the money wasn't there. I mean, yeah, the money's always been great, but I mean, not as great as it is now. When it guys used to play injured, I mean, they used to fight through little ticky tack injuries and they used to play through them. Some of them didn't have great years, and they're like, you know what? I played injured the whole year. Your teammates, your manager, your organization love those type of players, but now because the money's so great, guys don't want to play injured anymore. If, if they feel a little something in their legs or their side or their arm. They're like, you know what, I'd rather go on the IL for 10 to 15 days and not hurt myself instead of going out there. Maybe I have a couple bad outings or I have a couple weeks of of bad plate appearances that's going to cost me money. If I go on the IL, then, okay, I can spend 14 days on it or 10 days on it, try to get healthy. And that's not that's going to help me in the long run. So money has really been a big part of guys trying to play through injuries now. 
these guys are assets for sure. Expensive ones at that. Right. Jeff, I know you're a busy guy. So between the Marlins and Yankee stuff. So, so just want to say thanks for taking the time for me. Oh, that's great to have. Great to be on with you. <laughs> are you doing any of the Mint Pros events this summer? I hope to see you there. I will be. Yes. Yes. As soon as, uh, hopefully the attendance will go up and they'll get approved for some of these things at the end of August. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll see you then. Appreciate okay, it. Okay. Sounds good. Now. <laughs> Take care. Maybe you're just waking up. Maybe you are just headed out. Maybe you're working. Maybe you're going to the airport. Whatever. Thank you for tuning in to McCartan in the morning here on The Fan in New York City. It's been a fun one tonight. It's been a busy one tonight. We've, uh, I think it, it's going to be a keeper, the little trivia segment that we had before. Um, I had the callers guessing whether uh, the statement that I read from a scout was about Sam Darnold or well, it was about Zach Wilson. Sam Darnold, obviously, from 2018. Zach Wilson from this current year. Point being that, basically speaking, draft scouts might not always nail it on the head. And the other point being that what they were saying about Sam Darnold in 2018, probably the more important, what they were saying about Sam Darnold in 2018 is not much different than what they're saying about Zach Wilson in 2021. Problem is, Sam Darnold didn't have anything, any sort of scaffolding around him to, to help him out at all. Obviously, there was no coach, basically. Um, there were no – the highest wide receiver that he was thrown to was like a fourth rounder, something like that. I got to go back in my notes. But, you know, the guy was just never set up for success here in New York, and, and he took the beating every single week at that podium, never threw the team under the bus, never threw the coach under the bus, never threw his teammates under the bus. He was a consummate professional as a, what, 23-year-old kid. And he could have done it. He could have implied things, you know, and he just never did it. He just, he stood up there, he took the brunt of it, put it on him. And and you know what? Good for him. I'm so happy that he gets a fresh start with the irony, right, of this is all that he gets his wide receiver back, Robbie Anderson. He gets the head coach that the Jets passed over in order to hire Adam Guru in Matt Rule. And he gets, you know, a formidable backfield led by Christian McCaffrey, a running game, right? And we talked about that. It's a running game that sort of strikes fear. That, that Let's just put it this way. Defenses have to account for and plan for the running game of the Carolina Panthers, whereas they did not have to for the New York Jets. Surprisingly, because the Jets had Le'Veon Bell, but the head coach just did not know how to utilize him. So maybe you saw the video that circulated that Sam Darnold was um, – his friends, I guess, he walked into some house somewhere. I don't know whose house it was, but he walked into the house. There was someone videoing him. They had uh, Panthers colored balloons all over the house, and all of his friends were there. And, uh, it, it, you know, it was just a, this little surprise party. Clearly, he was surprised. It was a little surprise party, and he was, like, raising the roof, like, yes, like, finally, like, I get a fresh start. So, good for him. The Jets are, are, are going to embark on the Robert Sala, Mike LaFleur, Zach Wilson era New York Jets football. Listen, I'm trying to convince myself. Listen, you guys all know that I was a stick for Sam through and through from the beginning, never wavered on that. So I'm just trying to convince myself ways in which Zach Wilson will be a, um, you know, a good player for the New York Jets, a good quarterback for the Jets. And one thing I did see was that pro football focus graded the draft eligible college quarterbacks on their throws 
uh, for their first read since 2019. So uh, beyond their first read, who was ranked highest you know, to lowest. Best of the bunch was Justin Fields on those off their first read passes. He had a grade of 90.6 in my line of work. That's an A-. minus. Five-tenths of a point, still an A-, minus. behind him was Zach Wilson. Then you're like, what? Trevor Lawrence? He was graded seventh with a grade of a 78.6. That's a C+. So that's a good sign for Wilson. If he's able to find guys beyond the first read, let's just hope that he could stay up upright long enough to make that read. He did impress me at his pro day, but again, that's without a defense in his face. I've told you guys and talked about it before. When we have tryouts, especially it's very visible in volleyball where there's no defense right in a kid's face and you throw him, throw him, throw him, toss him up, they bang him down. Toss him up, they bang him down. As soon as you put a defense, it's a whole different ball game. So take that pro day mm, scripted plays with a grain of salt. And we had on Connie Carberg, who was the first female scout in the NFL, hired by the Jets, in fact, uh, still a Jets lifer. And we had a nice discussion. If you guys wanted to rewind, don't do it yet. But she was on at 320. You guys wanted to hear what she had to say about Zach Wilson and comparing him to others, other quarterbacks in the draft and then what the Jets should do in the later rounds. But when I got the news, I was sitting, eating a, like a late lunch, early dinner sort of thing in Cincinnati. <laughs> I, I was soaking in the sunlight. I was eating the fried chicken, which was amazing. And I'm sitting there, and, and they call it the, the Dora. It's like a designated outdoor, I think it's restaurant area. And it's basically a street right outside Great American Ballpark, side street. There's all restaurants and bars and stuff. And it's a re- it's, it, apparently, it was only designated that or like a pedestrian uh, street due to COVID stuff. But they, they're saying that they might go back to allow cars and parking on that street. I disagree. I thought it was pretty cool. A little atmosphere. They had picnic tables and everything right in the middle of the street. It was pretty cool. But anyway, I'm sitting there. My serenity was interrupted by the notification saying that the Jets had traded him. So finished eating real quick, ran out to my hotel room in Cincinnati and watched parts of the Joe Douglas press conference on the NFL Network. And one thing that kind of stuck out to me was what he said that if they had, or had they had the, I think he said the 12th or the 13th overall pick, that they in fact would have stuck with Sam Darnold. But since they had the prime real estate number two pick, they just figured it'd be best to just press the reset button. Um, Can't blame them, I guess, right? You can't. But it is what it is. So the, Jets are moving on from Sam Darnold. It's sad to see him go. That was my initial reaction. Like, oh, man, I really, I really wanted it to work out for him. And it, it will. It just won't be in New York. So I don't know if you could put money on this just yet, but comeback player of the year 2021, Sam Darnold, guaranteed. Book it. Go to your book. And so I um, when I played the, the – I got a tweet from or someone earlier, hours ago, that said I hit the nail on the head with a song that I picked to intro that section and in in the intro at the 2 a.m. hour and I picked that um 98 degrees it's the it's the hardest thing I'll ever have to do you guys might be shaking your head you might be like I don't know that song at all but the hardest thing that they had to do was part ways with Sam Darnold and there was no turning back they've made up their minds he deserved better than that with the Jets 98 degrees Cincinnati natives by the way my first concert ever at PNC Bank Art Center. 
Then uh, I also I use Carrie Underwood and the song Wasted. That was an adjective that Carrie Underwood used to describe the New York Mets performance today with Jacob deGrom on the mound yet again. And to the word wasted, the adjective wasted, I added ruined, spoiled, frustrating, embarrassing, all of those things. Jacob deGrom, after the game, said it was a team effort. We had a tough matchup today. We just got beat. He has to internally be reaching a boiling point over how poorly this team has performed. When he takes the ball as a starter, almost every reporter after that game was certainly trying to get him to bite, to get him to use the word frustrated or get him to use the word disappointed. But he didn't. But before he went to sleep Saturday night, before he laid his head on his pillow Saturday night, or maybe he's dreaming about it right now, did he ask himself the same question that Carrie Underwood asks in that song? Am I letting all these years go by wasted? Last week, we talked about how the two parties briefly engaged in preliminary extension talks during spring training. Not a lot of progress was made. Remember, though, DeGrom has an opt-out in this current deal after the 2022 season. At this rate, if I were him, I would absolutely consider opting out. What this team has put up in support of him has been just flat-out embarrassing. In his two starts this season alone, he's got 14 innings pitched, 21 strikeouts, which is tied for second in Major League Baseball with, guess who, Garrett Cole. And don't look it up, Shane Bieber leads the league. And he's got a .64 ERA. That ERA? Well, think about it. Look at the guys that have pitched more than 10 innings so far this season. Starters. His ERA is behind only two pitchers. One, Lance Lynn, who pitched the no-hitter for the White Sox this week, and Joe Musgrove, who pitched the no-hitter for the Padres this week. That's it. That's the list ahead of Jacob deGrom in terms of ERA for starting pitchers so far this season. And guess what? Both of those guys' teams won their games for him. Just saying. The Mets are 0-2 in deGrom starts. And talk about what the, the offense has done in support of Jacob deGrom, air quotes, over his first two starts. They're four for 17 with runners in scoring position, and they've left 14 base runners stranded. And this isn't a new thing. This is an ongoing issue. And maybe the offense can pick it up. Run support's one thing. What about support from your own bullpen? After being taken out first uh, in his first start entirely too early, the bullpen completely failed him. And again, not a new storyline. Very unfortunate for the best pitcher in baseball. Wouldn't you be looking at that opt-out being like, mm, this is not a bad idea, especially if the Mets failed to make the postseason this year again? You're the most dominant pitcher in all of baseball. What would you do? I guess it just boils down to whether or not you're a player that's after the money or after a World Series ring. Because right now, the Grom's 2021 Mets are only offering him one of those two things. And one more thing. Did you guys see the, the Conforto leaning into that walk-off walk? That pales in comparison to what the Marlins did to the Mets in the fourth inning of that same game. Did you catch it? Dom Smith gets aboard with a single. He bends over to take off his shin guard. Jesus Aguilar, 
Miami's first baseman literally pickpockets a card out of his back pocket. Again, that was the fourth inning. You'd have to think the card was showing defensive alignments, hitters, tendencies, whatever. And neither Smith nor the first base coach seemed to notice. That's not the gamesmanship like Conforto's lean in. That's straight up cheating. And the Yankees, their story is not much different than the Mets. I use the uh, Cole Swindell and Dirk Bentley song, Flatliner. Yeah, that's one word that described the Yankees. Did you see the shots in the Yankees dugout Saturday afternoon? Can the team doctor check those players for a pulse? And while they're at it, you know, flatliner is one word. I, I use the adjectives pathetic, ridiculous, stubborn, sputtering. And if you listen to Aaron Boone's post-game press conferences, you would literally think that the team is alone at the top of the standings. Today, in a game where his team posted exactly zero runs, posted two defensive errors, and a batting average with runners in scoring position of exactly zero, 0 for 4, six stranded base runners, Boone said, this is a quote, I thought we did a lot of great things today. Are you watching the same game I was? So great you played today that you optioned your starting pitcher from that same game, Domingo Herman, to the alternate site? Come on. Maybe that rosy perspective, which I think he might say, or it, or an iteration of it after every single game that they played a great game, is the reason why he hasn't seemed to want to make a change to the pitiful lineup he marches out there each and every day. Aaron Boone needs a reality check. His team has scored 11 runs in eight games. And the most glaring abomination to me is this. I still, one week later, for the life of me, I cannot figure out why Aaron Hicks is still batting third in this lineup. He's four for 27. That's a batting average of 148. Sure, he ran into one the other day. Put it over the left field. Uh, you know, the, the, the fence in left field. But that 148 batting average incorporates that. He has 11 strikeouts. The league leader, Miguel Sano, has 15. And to think this guy is sandwiched between Judge and Stanton. Why can't he get the job done? And Brett Gardner, in his post-game press conference, unlike his manager, brought a perspective of reality. And this is something I, get, I align myself with. He said, this is something I always try to stress to these guys in the room. These games are just as important as those games in September. And I don't want to hear it. We're eight games into the season. What are you getting all excited about? Well, the Yankees have already lost the series against the American League champion, defending champion, Tampa Bay Rays. They've already lost the series. This is a sport about not winning games, but winning series. And they've looked lifeless in doing so. So I've put posted on Twitter... And on Facebook, shake it up. That's it. Doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results is the definition of insanity. Shake the lineup up. The way I did it was, and I'm going to look at your comments and you know, when we hit the break here in a second, but my comments or the, the how I did it, how I assembled it was this. How I would fill out the Yankees lineup card. I looked at player batting average in each position. So like when, for example, leading off, I have Clint Frazier. I know you guys are like, what? Clint Frazier leading off. Guess why? Because his batting average when he bats first is 571. That's why Clint Frazier's leading off on my Yankee team. DJ LeMahieu, second. Right field, Judge batting third. I feel like I'm giving my team 
I'll read this off to you in case you didn't want to. But if you want to look at it, if you're a visual person like I am, it's at Coach, M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N, or Facebook.com slash Coach McCartan. Fourth, I would have Stanton. Fifth, Urshela. Sixth, Sanchez. Seventh, Torres. Eighth, Hicks. Ninth, Bruce. It's time to shake it up, get a different result, and maybe a W and at the chop later today. Okay, back to your calls, you guys, 877-337-6666. Again, if you can't get through or whatever, it's it's at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. Uh, of course, I'm checking the Twitter um, as I'm sitting here with you guys live. Um, I'm not really checking Facebook, but if you want to, it's at uh, it's, uh, Facebook.com slash Coach McCartan. Okay, talk to you guys in a second. This is John Sterling. Join me along with Susan Waldman for the Bombers and Tampa Bay Rays at 110 with Yankees pregame at 1230. And as always, I'll be joined by my compañera Susan Waldman here on your flagship station for Yankees talk. Tickets in every game. The Fan. Sports Radio 1019 FM and streaming on all of your devices at WFAN.com. Welcome back to McCartan After Midnight. Of course, I'm Danielle McCartan with you till 6 a.m. I want to get right to your calls, but I know we've talked a lot about the Jets, and maybe if you're a Giant fan, you're like, ah, oh, man, I got something for you guys. Saquon Barkley has put up some rehab videos. Looks okay. Not much to see. This guy, Nick Shimonek? Shimonek, maybe. He's a certified strength and conditioning specialist. He posted a few videos of Saquon Barkley this week, working on some short high-stepping then doing it with a weighted vest and a tether attached to it. So how does he look? Well, uh, he's not as ripped. He's not as cut as, as we're used to seeing him. He did it with a shirt off. Um, but if you're a Giant fan, it's a welcome sight to see. I will say that his feet look very quick, and he looks like he's going to be back and ready to go after, of course, suffering that ACL or torn ACL at Soldier Field on September 20th. So I've actually been to Soldier Field. It's really, it's, it's surprising. I felt like at parts, I was like I was like in Rome. Like they have marble columns and stuff. I was like, whoa, wait a second, where am I? And uh, so I, I, I weaseled my way into Joe Burrow Stadium, Joe Burrow Stadium, Joe Brown Stadium, John Brown Stadium in Cincinnati. Uh, I weaseled my way in there after I kind of batted my eyelashes at the, the, the guy in the pro shop about the Boomer Esiason jersey that was an XL or a 2XL. That's not going to fit me. I was gonna buy it though, and then I and I got into that little stadium, liked it, and of course, um, the Cincinnati Reds was my twentieth stadium. Great American Ballpark was my twentieth. I did do the Hall of Fame. That was a suggestion from one of you guys. He emailed me, I forget who it was, but go to the Hall of Fame. I did. Pretty cool, pretty pretty interesting stuff. That very historical. I guess I didn't ever realize how historical, you know, the Cincinnati Reds actually were. You know, I don't know. I guess. Oh, and by the way, I uh, I did take a photo with Mister. What's his name? Red, red, red. Mr. Redlegs is the mascot. I did find him on the concourse. So I got a picture with him as well. Okay, let's go back to your calls. And of course, this is going to be Brian in Ohio. Brian, welcome to the show. Hey, Danielle. I love the show and I love the quiz section that you did. Yeah, um, you like that? It's just kind of scary that it's so close, the comparison. That was the point. Yes, thank you. I know. <laughs> I know. But as an Ohioan, I have to ask, did you try the Skyline Chili? I did not. I was told to. I'm not a chili fan. I'm going to be honest. I'm not a chili fan. And I okay. think that would have slighted me. Like Either way, I wasn't going to like it because I don't like chili. You know what I mean? Okay, yeah, this is a, they do a, like a cinnamon taste to it, yeah. so it's a little bit different, and you got here a month too early, because if you were looking for something to do, 
Right outside of Cincinnati is Kings Island, and they have one of the best wooden roller coasters in the world. Oh, man. It's a great amusement park, but it doesn't open until May. So you should have just waited a month. I didn't know. Where were you last week, Brian? (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. I wish I would have known. I would have at least tweeted you to let you know. But now if you come to uh, Progressive Field, have you been there yet? No, it's on the list. Okay, if you come to Progressive Field or Comerica Park, mm-hmm. you're going to want to do that after May because you're going to want to hit Cedar Point. It's the greatest amusement park. It has over 12 roller coasters. It's just amazing. So after May for that okay. trip okay. because Cedar Point's right in between and you got the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yes. Yep. So we do have some stuff here in Ohio, but dealing with I know you're a New York Central station. Yeah. I love the Mets lineup, except when the ground pitches, of course. Yes. Because for some reason, they just disappear. And I'm scared of the Braves. I am scared to death of the Braves. I don't know. What do you think about their young stars? Yeah, I know. And Brian, thanks for the call, and thanks for hanging on. Yeah, there. thank you. Appreciate it. Um, appreciate the tips there. The, the Braves, listen. The Mets have bigger problems than the Braves, and they're named the Marlins. I mean, really. Uh, the Mets are just not putting it together. Yes, of course, the Braves are going to be good. I actually think the Braves are going to win the NL East. I think the Mets are going to get into the, the postseason as a wild card team. That's what I think. The Braves are good, man. The Braves were good last year, too. And so they've got some – Acuna, did you see what he, the home run he hit? Man. He knew it was gone. It was awesome. It was, you know, I don't want to say it was awesome, but it was a good. It was a good home run. It was a nice home run. But the Braves, yes, I do think they're going to win the NL East. Very preliminary, preliminarily, of course. And I do think the Mets are going to be fighting for a, a wild card position, jockeying for wild card position, I should say. Okay, let's go in the order that you guys called. Next is uh, Mike in West Palm. Mike, what's up? Buongiorno, professor. Uh, Buona mattina. Ciao. Grazie. I'll tell you what, I tuned in late, uh, uh, Danielle, and shout out to Nick. I always give a shout out to the good producers. Yeah, Nick's uh, the man. a nice chat. Um, you know, first of all, I didn't realize you visited 20 stadiums already. That was part of my back in the day. But yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, 20. That's amazing. Um, you know, great interviews you do. I, I did tune in with Jeff Nelson, mm-hmm. Inside About the Yankees. Now I'm going to go. Talk about the Yankees in a second, but the Mets right now, um, long-time Mets fan. Uh, DeGrom, <laughs> the sticks are always quiet when he pitches. Yeah. As you mentioned, 14 Ks. He's just putting up amazing numbers, but it's it's one of those unavoidable things. Some teams don't do well against other teams, and some teams, uh, the bats are quiet when he's on the mound. And I would go for what you said, um, Danielle, coach. Uh, if he has a chance to opt out after 22, I would go for it because who wants to languish? With the new owner, it's different completely with the Mets, but um, that's an option he has. Um, you know, and, and, and Conforto, friends were texting me, Mets fans and whatever. Uh, we stole the game. Conforto had the equipment of Barry Bonds. <laughs> yeah, uh, I know. Hockey equipment, know. and he stuck his elbow out. And, you know, we got hosed on so many games over the years. And as the great Satchel Page uh, said, Coach, it ain't cheating until and unless you get caught. You know, you know, I don't, she, Mike. I didn't see it as cheat. I saw it as gamesmanship. Honestly, I saw it as gamesmanship. Correct. The Astros cheated. 
this was just a little bit of gamesmanship. I, That's I, a lot. Told the line, I, you know. But guess what? The Mets have had games stolen from them, and they will have games stolen from them. It, you, know, it, you know what? A win's a win, as he said. It is what it is. It maybe it was it instinctual. Right. Maybe it was on purpose. Who knows? But you, like you said, he did have the armor on. Maybe he just he just took one for the team. You know what I mean? Like I, I don't I don't see the big uproar of it. I really don't. No, people make a big deal out of nothing. Much ado, because it, it happens to all teams. You know, you catch a W when you can. Yeah, exactly. You know, you'll be on the reverse side of uh, of the coin, and people who didn't play the game uh, at a decent level, like you did and I did and others, they don't they don't have a clue what goes on. You know, especially uh, um, hardball. Uh, next thing is with the Yankees. Um, uh, they they some some fans are pressing the panic button, like I was telling uh, uh, Nick uh, earlier. Hey, I, I tell friends for years and, and baseball fans, give it at least one month, one and a half months. You can gauge where the team is headed. It just, you know? It's just worrisome to me, though, that they have just looked so lifeless. It, yeah. it wasn't like they lost 4-3 to three to Tampa. I'd be okay with that. It was 4 nothing. They scored zero runs. It, it was just pitiful. It was pitiful to watch. It was a waste of time to watch. It was. You know, I'm looking at yesterday's post, okay? And on the back page, there's Boone and taking the ball from Corey. You know, just shy. I think two and a third innings. Yes, two but and a third. For some reason, the pinstripe is for years. Pitching woes, middle relief woes mm-hmm. uh, are, are uh, the big boys, Judge and uh, um, uh, um, the guy we got from the Marlins. I can't think of his name. Stanton. Uh, Stanton. Uh, right. Are they going to stay healthy? And anytime you have home run hitters, you're going to have an increase in the ratio of strikeouts. Mm-hmm. That just goes hand in hand. You, you know, you, you want the long ball. And I agree with what you said last week, Danielle. Uh, small, I've always believed that, small ball. You know, Did you see Stanton ball. do it? He hit against the shift, though. Did you see it? Scored two runs, tied the game yeah. up. Yeah, okay. and I hate that shift. My dad, rest his soul, hated that shift I also. Hate too, yeah. Um, and uh, what else? Um, how's things going? I, I know you got – Callers on deck. Uh, how's things going? Uh, any any uh, practice on Boomer's softball team? Nothing yet. I'm waiting. I'm waiting for the okay. email asking for what size my uniform is. I don't know. It better come. <laughs> okay. I don't well, know. Maybe, yeah, maybe Boomer's uh, uh, producer can get it, one of his jerseys that you saw in Cincinnati mailed to him. You know, this way he can use it for a pillow or something. Um, uh, anyway, uh, Coach, always good uh, listening to your show. Always good chatting with you. And I'm going to tune in. Uh, to the Masters, I forgot to mention, hollowed ground, 85th uh, Masters. Um, uh, you are going places, uh, whether it's on radio or TV, it's going to be sports-related. And you can go out with Anne Ligori and hit a few balls. Um, yeah, I will, I will golf, have to take her up on that. Yeah. Uh, speaking of golf balls, I have one right here. It's got a logo on it. I've always liked the golf balls with the logo. Mojo. <laughs> and you still got Mojo serious behind the microphone, Coach. Thanks, Mike. Talk next week. Salud, salud. Stati buono. Stati buono. Um, yeah, we could probably do one more. Mike, Mike's always always a fun call, Mike is, isn't he? Golf, though, I, I still I can't get into it. I still can't do it. I still can't. All right, let's go in the order that you guys called. Uh, let's go to Matt in uh, the, the whole state of New Jersey. Matt, you're up. All right, finally a local guy. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, that listen, that man made a lot of great points. I'm just gonna follow it up mm-hmm. a couple of things. It's first off, I cannot believe that you said 
that the I in a good way I love the fact that you said that just because it's five games into the year does not mean that we should care less and say well it's early in the season they play 162 games for a reason yeah and every game matters so the fact that they're not winning these games it makes you want to as a Mets fan or even a baseball as a baseball fan outsider you're probably thinking, oh, my God, poor DeGrom. And then as a Met fan, it, it just makes you have Ajita thinking that you're wasting this guy's talent, in a sense. And, and I almost just... think, and Matt, too, two things. One, it's about winning series. You know, it's not, you know, you win 141 games. It's, it's series. And people don't always understand that. So the Yankees, I'll take the Yankees, they're already down a series against the Rays, which is going to be their their biggest competition in the division. But getting back to DeGrom. If you're, always their prep tonight. Right. And you as a fan get Ajita when you watch, your, you know, you know uh, DeGrom's coming up to pitch. Again, what is the psychology of that onto the players as well? They must be pressing. They're like, we got to get it done for this guy. They they're coming out of themselves at the plate. Like it's just it's just a bad scenario. It's I don't and, and sports like I have a degree in psychology. Sports psychology is not my thing, but I've been around it enough. I cannot figure out why this happens. I can't. I don't like the fact that Ron Darling on the telecast yesterday said. I, I, Gary Cohen asked him, he said, do you think the contract stuff is lingering in Conforto's head? And I he did said, hear I that. I don't think so. And yes. I'm, I'm sorry? No, yeah, I did hear that. Go ahead. It, yeah, and, it, and for him to say, for him, when, he, when Conforto got hit by the pitch, I'll put that in air quotes, he said he just, like, seemed lost and all that stuff. Why are you candid during that thought? I mean, does he really believe that Michael Conforto is not thinking about this, con- this contract extension coming yeah. up? Yeah. I, as a fan and as an outsider, again, I know I'm a little bit jaded because I'm not the one with this riding and all that, but if you have a lot of pressure to perform, I mean, he has to be thinking about this. That was the one thing that I, I felt was very, uh, not distasteful. I was just very confused by him being candid in one telecast and then immediately about the same player being like defensive for him. You yeah, know, no, it, it just it. seemed kind of like off in some sense. Yeah, I get it. I get it. And Matt, thanks for the call. The one thing I would say is if you're Conforto there again, I'll agree with you. There is no way you're not thinking about your next payday. Maybe not in the sense of like, Oh, how many dollars am I going to get in the sense of like, Hey, like maybe I don't want to lay out for that ball in, 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 uh, in right field. Maybe I don't want to potentially hurt myself or maybe I don't want to like this, this double all the way out. Maybe I'll hurt my hamstring. And ultimately because that might cost me money on my next deal. Yes, I think it's not a good situation. I think that since he has Scott Boris as an agent, it's going to go to the wire. And because of that, I really don't think you're going to see the best of Conforto this year. Honestly, I know he's playing for the contract, but again, this we're in we're in high stakes dollar dollars and years and stuff. These guys don't want to hurt themselves and hurt their value. That's what it is, and. That's just what it is. And so I don't know if we're going to see the, the best of, the greatest hits of Michael Conforto this season. Unless, of course, a deal does get done. So I'm, I'm with you. There's no way he's not thinking about it. 
It might not be the thought on on the, the frontal cortex of his brain, but it is in the uh, in the back of his his brain at least. And just another thing too about Degrom. Listen, he's thirty two. He's going to be. He's the same age as me. Almost we're almost born. We're a month apart. He's thirty two years old. He's going to be thirty three in June. Don't you think he wants to win a World Series? So that opt out that's huge. That opt out in twenty twenty two is huge. Potential opt out. Is huge for, for him and for this team. They have to make the playoffs this year. They have to make the postseason. Because if they don't, their best pitcher might be ring chasing. And you know what? I'm calling, speaking of ring chasing, I am calling BS on something one of our superstars here in the New York sports scene said this weekend. Total BS. I'll fill you guys in after the break. Hey, what's going on? It's the Moose coming up Monday after Boomer and Geo at 10 a.m. Moose and Maggie right here on the fan. All the baseball to react to. Yankees, Rays, Mets out at City Field. Yes, we will officially be in mid-April, so plenty to react to and overreact to, quite frankly. Also, tons of basketball for you as well. We start at 10 a.m. on Sports Radio 1019 FM and on the Odyssey app. Welcome back into McCartan After Midnight for the last time here tonight on uh, the 11th of April. You know, I told you guys, and we'll get to your calls in a second. I see you guys all. 877-337-6666 is the number. If you can't get through, it's at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N on Twitter. Facebook.com slash Coach McCartan. So I told you I'm calling BS on one of our sports superstars here in New York City. You know who it is? Let's play a game of who said it, right? This guy said, my view on the game is really about development. It's not about let's go get this championship. You're never going to get this. He said, I appreciate that stuff, and I want to win to experience that stuff, but it's not the end-all, be-all of why I play the game. So right now, to your radio, to your phone, to your smart speaker, make a guess. The answer is Kevin Durant. Are you kidding me? I've called BS on this completely. If it was truly about development as a player, then you would have chosen another team, you know, maybe a non-super team How about maybe the Knicks with a ton of young talent? It's not about let's go get this championship. Come on. After you called your buddy Kyrie Irving in the offseason, you teamed up with him to turn the Brooklyn Nets into the next NBA super team. After, I'm sure, luring James Harden to Brooklyn too. After forcing out the coach and Kenny Atkinson that excels in, guess what? The development of players. Dude, that's just such a ridiculous comment. But what I did like that he did say, he said, I do want us to bring back those gray and red New Jersey joints, meaning jerseys. So, yes, I'm for it. Don't know why the Nets ever left New Jersey, but, you know, there's that. But come on, you're you're not, uh, it's not about let's go get this championship. Of course it is. That's a ridiculous comment. That's a clown comment, bro. Didn't Baker Mayfield say that, I think? It's a clown comment, bro. All right, back to your calls for the last time tonight, everybody. Uh, Dominic in Brooklyn. You're up on the fan. This guy again. It's so fake. This is such a fake call. Yeah, I remember this from last time. Yeah, this is just a fake prank call. You know what? Yeah. Let's let's leave him on there. How do we how do we put him on hold? That's so ridiculous. That's so rude. You think you're funny? You're so funny, Dominic. You're just so funny. You've been on hold for 15 minutes, really? Okay, let's go to uh Sayasa and Bob. You're on the fan. Hi, Danielle. What's up, Bob? 
Um, I would say it was funny. I like the Jeff Nelson thing. I heard that before. Um, well, thanks. Uh, 32 is my favorite number. That's another thing. But the funny thing is that I was walking the dog yesterday. I said, I haven't called you in about a month or so. And I said, what well, can I call Danielle about? So I was thinking of tweaking the Met lineup. But it was funny because I'm going to say, how, how can I introduce it? And I brought up that definition of insanity, you know, the, the, yes. the Grom problem. Yes. I brought up that definition of insanity type of thing. I was going to tell you that. And you brought it up. And then you <laughs> tweaked the Yankee lineup. So I'm like, I'm like laughing. I said, i got to get through to Danielle today. Yeah, great, great anyway, minds. Think alike. I'm sorry? Great minds. Think alike. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. You're a great mind. But anyway, um, yeah, yeah, you are, you are, you really do know your stuff. And I like that you, you know, you like to change things up a little bit. So that's pretty, that's pretty good. Thanks. And why not that Frazier first if he's hitting 600 as a leadoff man? But anyway, I, I like that. This is what I would do with the Mets. Anyway, I would, yeah. I like the double play combination leading off the game. And I, I would have Lindor and McNeil. They're going to be your guys for the next 10 years. I would bet them first and second. I think that will bring a lot of energy to the team. Oh, Lindor is just like Ricky Henderson. What about Brandon and, Nemo? Come on. Brandon Nemo, he has the highest Mets history, the second highest on-base percentage in all of Mets history. You have to keep him first. No, i tell you why. Because back in the day, they used to have a Mike Hargrove or Brian Downing bat for their team's leadoff. Mm. Nemo doesn't steal bases. I'm not saying he's not quick or anything, but it just doesn't work. It's one of those things. It just doesn't work. And if I'm, let me let me just continue. Yeah, yeah, I would actually put him in the eight hole because why? <gasps> because when the Yankee teams were winning, believe it or not, their biggest pain in the neck was out of the nine spot. They had the, the, the couple guys, I forget so I forget their names, but that number nine hitter always got on base, and I'm like, damn, if that number nine's going to get on base, there's no way we're getting through this Yankee lineup. Okay. Uh, then I, I like the lefty-righty thing. So okay. after McNeil, I'd go Alonzo, Smith, um, Davis, and then Conforto. And then you got McCann in the seven hole, and then you got Conforto surrounded by two righties, and then you got your real pain in the neck. Nemo batting eighth, and then of course you can bunt or pinch it in the nine hole, and, that, and that's what I would do. Uh, Bob, I don't like it. I got to tell you, I, I don't. I'm not crazy about it. I, I'm, I'm keeping the Italian way to say it is Nemo. So I'm keeping Nemo over there in a primo, the first spot. Oh. I'm looking at. See, I'm looking at the batting averages here. Lindor. First of all, Nemo's batting average, by the way, is 412 this season. Lindor 176. Conforto 143. You know what? McNeil, guess what he's batting? Oh, 77. He's batting 77. That's bad. But you know yeah. what I would do? DeGrom's batting 600. I would probably put him as the second batter. I'm just kidding. I'll tell you one other thing. Real quick, back <laughs> yeah. in the day, once in a while, a manager would throw the, everyone's name in a hat and pick it out. And I would, for the next DeGrom game, that, that might be something to do. But I wouldn't do that ordinarily. But, <laughs> but it is early, and hitting is way down in the major leagues this year. Like yeah. I was listening to one game yesterday. The major league average is 231. So mm-hmm. that's like pretty far down there. So it's not the weather. It's uh, early season. Uh, so you can't look at those averages early because one three-hit game and the guy's hitting 250. Right, right. You know, so once McNeil breaks out to hit for his three hits, he's going to be hitting 200, 250. Same with uh, any of those guys. And especially, Bob, and thanks for the call there, especially the Mets because they've got less games in than you know a lot of the other teams because of the stupid Washington Nationals and how they should have had to forfeit those games and they have to now make them up especially with a doubleheader in uh, September. Just what the Mets needed, right? Um, yeah, you know what? I'm going to probably come up with uh, a more scientific way to do that than, than picking out of a hat, but I am not moving Brandon Nemo. Nemo, 
out of the, the number one spot. No way. No, I'm not doing that. So I, I'm looking at it now. I have to take another look at this, but I do have the Yankees one up if you guys wanted to critique that. Okay, let's go. Uh, <laughs> let's go back to Dominic. Hey, Dominic, you up yet? It's star. This is ridiculous. It's, get out of here, Dominic. You know what, Nick? I don't want to ever talk to Dominic about uh, whatever. Dom Smith is, is what it said. Never again. Put a little note next to him. Let's go to Sparky and Dobbs Ferry. You're up on the fan. First, how you doing, Coach? What's up? Okay. Um, two things that have disturbed me about the Yanks. Now, last year, Tampa Bay embarrassed the Yanks in the regular season, embarrassed them in the postseason. Mm-hmm. You would think that playing Tampa Bay this year, the Yanks would have some fire, some anger. They look like they don't care. And they raise the banner in front of them, too. Come on, Sparky. Wouldn't you be like, oh, I never want to have this experience ever again. I'm going to do everything I can to beat this team. Right? Wouldn't you? No, no Coach, though, they're very fortunate that George Steinbrenner is not alive. He would have fired everybody. <laughs> Starting with Giancarlo Stanton, right? Hey, but, I mean, now... My other thing is about the Yankee defense, and these two things aren't going to change unless different players are playing the position. As Jeff Nelson says, Glaber Torres just isn't a shortstop. Okay? Mm-hmm. And and I'm sorry, Jay Bruce, he could be the worst first baseman I've ever seen. Yeah, it's... Because, uh... you, know, you, know, you know, it's like when, Steve, when Urshela throws the ball, he puts a chest high perfect. Mm-hmm. But if the ball's not chest-tied perfect to Bruce, he's not going to catch it. Yeah, and to be fair, he's obviously not the everyday first baseman, whereas Glaber Torres is the everyday shortstop. And my last thing about about the Jets and about, you know, Don, Don, you know what? I'm happy for the guy. Me too. But I'll tell you what, no matter who the quarterback is, they have to do work on the offensive line big time. Because this look at what happened in last year's Super Bowl. Yep. How even a great guy like Mahomes was put pressure was put on him and it messed up his whole game. Yeah, he didn't have a chance. Jets fans are used to watching that every single weekend. I get it. Yeah, you know it's like so you had he had a good time in Cincinnati. Yeah, it was. I mean, it's not a you know major city, but you know the game was fun. I, I saw two wins. I, I snuck my way into. Uh, the Bengals Stadium, and uh, I had a good little time by myself out there in Cincinnati. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you one thing, though. You mentioned you've gone to 20 stadiums. Yes. There's one stadium I really want to go to, and that's Kansas City. Yes, I loved it. Because, you know, when you look on TV, you see the waterfalls, yes. everything. I remember when they built that place, it looks like the same as when they built it 45 years ago. Yeah, but it's still it's modern a- in ways. So it's, it, I really, it was a good one. I liked it. Coach? You have a great day, my friend. Thanks. You too, Sparky. Bye-bye. One thing about that stadium, I I mentioned it once before, but um, really quickly, because I know we're we're about to wrap up here. Um, The one thing about the Kansas City Stadium, actually two things, the fountains in the outfield, the wife, Kaufman's wife, was the baseball fan, and she wanted those fountains there. And they said, well, the budget, we only could put one. She was like, oh, no, 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 no. So she plunked down whatever, $2 million at the time to put all of the original fountains in the original plan in. The other thing is this, there was supposed to be a retractable roof that went from Kauffman Stadium over to Arrowhead Stadium, retractable, and it would just slide through like these these grates in the parking lot. And um, there's still to this day a tunnel that I didn't go through it, but there's a tunnel that goes from home plate to the 50 yard line. 
across the parking lot. Underground, obviously. So, isn't that cool? Stuff you learn, right? Okay, last call of the night. Terry in Amenia, you are on the fan. Buona mattina, Imperaci. Uh-huh. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Had my cataract operation this week. I can see again. Great. That's awesome. I'm a rubbling buff. I have a ticket of admission to the opening of the Brooklyn Bridge. Cool. And if you are interested in the extraordinary history of the bridge in Cincinnati, I can recommend a book to you. It's called The Tower and the Bridge by David Billington. You will enjoy it. Also, to mention the Roeblings this week, the son who was in business with his father, Washington Roebling, drowned on the Titanic. Really? Oh, yeah. Huh. Washington Roebling. The things you learn. I knew a Titanic survivor who knew him. And she said that it was he who came to her mother and her and said, get off this thing. It's going to sink. Very cool. Yes. All right. What's your jet so, point there, Terry? I wanted to say, while I'm not happy that Sam Donald got the bums rush, mm-hmm. once I realized that Salah knew was lukewarm about him, I knew it was inevitable. All I can say is, I wish this young man the best. And if he beats the Jesus out of us, <laughs> that's our fault. Not his. Well, the and Jets. On that bright, yeah, yeah, and and the Jets are headed down to Carolina. No date yet, but the Jets are headed down to Carolina to take on that team. That's going to be a fun one to watch, right? For sure. So, you have a great week. <laughs> Thanks. You Thank too, you too. for finding me the time. Of course, Terry. Um, I, I, I'm trying to look back through my notes really quickly. I don't think that Salah was lukewarm on him. I got to come up with. Uh, that a little bit quicker, I know that, but I thought that they were, you know, going to be okay with it. I thought if they picked him, they were going to be fine with it. I'm pretty sure, um, but I, I got to find that for you guys for next week. Um, and by the way, getting just getting back to that <clears throat> that Jay Bruce thing. Excuse me. This guy has how many played how many years in baseball? This is his. Let's see. Uh, this is his thirteenth. No, I can't even figure this out because he played so many games. Let's just say about thirteenth year, right? He's played at first base, including this year with the Yankees, of course, in only 61 games at first base. He's played 1,437 in right field. That's, I, I understand it's on the same side of the field, you know, it's on the right side, but it's just a lot of inexperience there at first base. You really, you really can't get on him too, too much, but of course... It rears its ugly head, the inexperience over there at first base, when, like you said, you know the, the throw isn't chest-high center. When, the th- when you have to pick the throw from Gleyber Torres in the 10th inning, ending the game, in, in effect, ending the game, because it was an errant throw. And, and by the way, there was nothing Jay Bruce could have done about that. I know I was going back and forth on Twitter with somebody. There was, he, he short-hopped that ball so much. And that happens, too. When you're trying to make such a perfect throw, sometimes you just can't as a shortstop. It's happened to me. And the other thing, too, I wanted to mention was Jay Bruce, what, he couldn't corral the, the throwdown, the snap throw. I think it was uh, Saturday's game from Gary Sanchez. It's just the inexperience of first base is killing him. 
Lots to do with this New York Yankees team and also to the Mets. And thank you to all the callers tonight. Could not have done it without you. If you missed any portion of the show, hit that new Odyssey Rewind feature. Your app should have automatically updated. At 320 was Connie Carberg, the first Jet scout, giving us a detailed look into the team's 2021 draft plans. At three, at 440 was Jeff Nelson, four-time World Series champion, giving us a former player's perspective on the New York Yankees and an in-depth analysis on the pitching today's game. Great job to Nick tonight. Worked hard tonight. And also to Mike McCann on the updates. Rewind the whole thing to 2 a.m. In the meantime, hit my socials at Coach McCartan, Facebook.com slash Coach McCartan. I'll keep talk to you guys next week. Sports Radio 1019 FM.